Welcome to episode 76 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on April 4th, 2018. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and I'm 50% of this here show. With me, as always, is Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics. How you doing, Corey? I am doing very well, Brad. How are you? I am doing good. Just got through a good section of banter, and I'm getting choked up now because, as frequent listeners will know, we have an attack of congestion before we record every episode. <laughs> um, <clears throat> trying to just, like, breathe and uh, get my, voc- my voice box working again. Other than that, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm ready to do the show, man. I'm excited. How are you doing? I am doing pretty well. Um, I think we've got some good stuff on our plates today. We have another. We've get, we've been getting. Have you noticed in a pretty good habit of like every other show doing like a spoiler section on the show? And so far, nobody has complained. So people must either not care about the games we're spoiling, or our spoiler alerts must be so thorough that people are able to turn away and come back once they play whatever games we're talking about. Third option. No one listens to our show. That, yeah, or nobody listens, and then we can just talk about whatever we want anytime, and then nobody can complain. We could talk about anything, not even games, and people would not even know. We could talk about pie. <laughs> we could talk about the weather. It could be anything. The beauty of having your own podcast that no one listens to, I guess. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. That's, that's, that is doing our frequent listeners a disservice. We know you're out there. We know you're listening. Thank you very much for joining us every week. You guys are great. Uh, also... Keep your pictures coming in. Um, it's kind of died off a little bit, but we have gotten a few more pictures of where you are listening to our show. I would love to get a few more pictures so we can put them up on our map. If you're listening to the show, get your iPhone, your device, your Android, whatever. Take us uh, a picture of whatever you see outside your window and send it to us, and we would thank you very much indeed. Um, before we get into the game stuff, a couple of things real quick. First off, uh, like Corey was mentioning about the spoiler stuff, uh, we are going to be spoiling stuff on this show just like we have the last couple episodes. This time around, we are going to be spoiling, absolutely spoiling everything about Get Even and A Way Out. So we are going to hold those two to the end of the show. We have some non-spoiler content first. We'll get through that, and then we will give you a huge, huge spoiler warning. Uh, and then feel free to bail at that point if you don't want to be spoiled or continue to listen and as usual, we will still have our uh, banter after the show. Uh, Corey has been doing an awesome job of putting show notes and timestamps uh, for every episode. So if you don't want to be spoiled, take a look down in the show notes. You can jump ahead to where we get to the banter. Uh, or just listen to the whole thing if you swing that way, whatever you want to do. So we want to make sure that you are not accidentally spoiled. Because I don't know about you, Corey, but I cannot stand accidentally being spoiled. Are you spoiler sensitive? Uh, for the most part, yes. Okay. I hear some people... Who say, oh, you know, science has proven that people actually like being spoiled, that actually people enjoy a story more when they know what's coming. And I say bull fucking shit. I do not <laughs> like to be spoiled. I don't care what your fucking broken science says. I don't like to be spoiled at all. And I don't want anybody to walk away from our show feeling bad because we spoiled something for them. So uh, heads up. We are going to be spoiling Get Even and A Way Out at the end of the show. Uh, but we will give you a warning before we get there. So uh, for now, I say we let me, uh, get right into it, Corey. You ready to talk about some games? I'm ready to talk about some games. All right, cool. So, big game released this week, Far Cry 5. Um, I don't know if it's been hugely anticipated, but I've seen a lot of people talking about it. They had a very provocative campaign beforehand where it really seemed like they were going to be tackling the subject of, like, 
white supremacy or maybe Trump's America or right wing politics or something like that. Like the ads before the game came out, pretty provocative, seemed to be leaning a certain way. I don't know if that was intentional or just, you know, happenstance with how America turned out after the last election. Uh, but that was a big factor. Also, I know Far Cry is a pretty big franchise. Uh, everyone's favorite uh, open world, uh, I don't know, tower climbing franchise or whatever, where you get the maps <laughs> going. So, Corey, you've played it. You got Far Cry 5. You've been dipping into, I don't know, rural Montana or something like that. Tell us all about it, sir. Uh before we jump in, what if you could predict what you think I'm going to say about Far Cry 5, what do you think I'm going to say about it? I predict you're going to say it's Far Cry where you're playing it and it's fine and the action's there and you can play it or not play it. And if you a better game came along tomorrow, you would just stop playing it. <laughs> well, most of that is right. I was basically <laughs> going to say that it's another Far Cry. Like, there's not really i mean i like it and i don't think i would drop it if another game came along instantly but it feels just like every other far cry you've played except for maybe two because far cry 2 has this big like weird fan following i couldn't get into far cry 2 but i also never like really super seriously tried to get into it i gave it like an hour of my time and bailed um but if you've played three, four, even Primal to an extent, and then this one, you pretty much know exactly what you're getting into. So the game, it's a first-person open world, um, kind of like, kind of sort of play at your own pace um, shooter, where uh, most of the ones recently have taken place in like tropical or like, um, like foreign country, like fake foreign countries and stuff like that, um, like foreign locales. And this one takes place in the United States. It's in uh, Hope County, Montana, if I'm not mistaken. And that's a fake place in Montana, but Montana is real. Um, and it is, so it's like the first one maybe ever that's taken place in America. And it looks, I mean, I've never... I guess I've never been to Montana now that I think about it, but from what I've read on the internet, it seems to resemble Montana pretty well. Um, a lot of big trees, a lot of grass. Um, I don't know. There's like mountains and stuff. Uh, but the point of the game is that you are a, I guess you're a deputy. I'm confused in the game because you play a silent protagonist because of fucking course you play a silent protagonist. And sometimes people call you rookie or rook for short and then sometimes people call you deputy and like i don't know everything about like police ranks but i don't think a deputy and a rookie can be the same thing uh maybe i'm wrong about that but i'm not sure but you get called those two things throughout the game so you don't really have a name um the weird thing is that there's quite a bit of character customization this time around in far cry 5 like whenever you start Instead of it just giving you the character that you are, you get to pick if you're a man or woman. You can pick different skin tones. You can pick different hairstyles, uh, shirts, pants, outfits, hats, gloves. So you can basically deck your character out. I mean, it's not like, you know, Saints Row style um, character customization, but it's like pretty decent, which is weird because it's a first person game. Um, but that's slightly beside the point. At the beginning of the game, you are on a mission with, I think it's like Homeland Security or something. You can tell how into the story I am already by how I'm describing it. Um, you're, <laughs> Stuff's it, happening. I don't know. People talking. Something, something. Yeah, it's yeah. just like, and I'll, I'll get to this in a minute about why Far Cry stories are dumb for me. But like the beginning of the game, you are in a helicopter. You're flying with, to Hope County, Montana. With It's like you and a U.S. Marshal. And there's like the sheriff 
for Hope County. And you're basically going in to bring out um, the leader of this cult or this like really religious group. They're called um, Eden's Eden's Pride or Eden's Gate or Eden something. Um, they call them like the sort of like quote unquote like derogatory word for them is Peggy's in the game, which is weird. Like all the people who are not in the cult call them Peggy's, which that just makes me think of the European video game rating system where it's like Peggy 18 before video game trailers. Like I think of that every time I hear it, but they're called Peggy's. Um, the, the job is to go in to get the guy, the leader of the cult out. Cause I guess they've been like doing bad stuff to take him in the helicopter to fly him. I don't know. to like FBI headquarters or something. Of course the mission goes tits up like every video game ever. You're flying a fucking helicopter with the doors open. The helicopter crashes. You're dragged out. That's like, the base starting point for like 90% of first person shooters out there. And this one's no different. Um, and just like that, the game is very cookie cutter. Um, you get rescued by a guy who's part of like the resistance um, on in Hope County and the world, once you're kind of like uh, nursed back to health, the world is uh, it's in three um, sort of like uh, I, I want to say quadrants, but a quadrant is four. Um, it's in three um, areas of the map. You have like, the brother, there's two brothers and a sister, and then the brother that you were trying to get out is called the father, even though he's a brother. And what? what? He's the father, I, but he's the brother. Well, what? He's, ca- he's ca- they call him the father because he's like the leader of the church, but he's just one of the brothers. But he's like more in charge, so they refer to him as the father. Is this like um, some kind of a backwoods hick where like your grandfather is also your cousin and then your mom is also your sister? Is that kind of? What I it is? have no idea. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> So the point is just like every other, you know, uh, game, open world game like this, you have to like liberate each of the three areas and each of the three areas kind of has like a boss, which is one of the brothers or the sister. There's one sister. And so you're basically doing the same kind of stuff that you do in every Far Cry. You're killing people, you're stealing cars, you're climbing towers sometimes, um, The game has streamlined a few things that I actually appreciate. Like, a big staple of previous Far Cry games was, like, hunting. And you could, like, hunt, and you would have to, like, fashion, like, a bigger wallet or bigger ammo packs or, like, like armor and stuff like that based on what kind of animals you killed. But in this game, those are all just upgrades that you get um, that you can, like, buy in the upgrade screen. You can still hunt animals, and you can still get killed by animals. But when you get the skins, all you can do is sell them for money, which is kind of nice. I appreciate that streamline. But the thing, um, the thing that kind of like gets kind of under my skin about Far Cry games, and this is true of basically all of them, is that they have way too much writing in them and way too much like cutscene in them, and I don't really know what the deal is here. Like I, I can't honestly believe that anybody who's working for these games like actually thinks that they're crafting some like really thought-provoking and, like, interesting story because all it is is you, like, killing a bunch of people and, like, liberating zones and basically doing the same thing you do in every open-world game ever. But it's one of the... It's a perfect example of a game where, like, you, you can't just go and get a mission from somebody. You have to go and talk to them and you have to stand there while they talk at you for three minutes, ultimately just to tell you to, like, go steal a plane or go kill this guy or go, like, burn this field or something... And this is the first game that I've played in a long time where I'm actively skipping every single cutscene in the game because I just, like, I don't give a fuck about the story. The gameplay is fun. It's great. 
you're running around, you're upgrading your guns, you're going into outposts, you're, uh, you can be stealthy if you want, you could really decide your plane of attack. I mean, it's very cut and dry uh, Far Cry, but I just over the story, and this goes for every Far Cry I've played, like I... I, like the writers for Far Cry always think that they're crafting these like really interesting final bosses. Like you had Voss at Far Cry Three, who was like, I don't even know how to describe him. He had like his head shaved, and he always gave that stupid monologue about like, what's the meaning of um, God? Like what is it? Like um, insanity? Like doing the same thing over and over again and expect different results. So like every time you saw him in the game, he gave that stupid monologue. And uh, Pagan Men and Far Cry 4, like, he was, like, supposed to be this, like, eccentric, like, Bond villain, but he was just really stupid because in the first, like, five minutes you meet him in the game, he, like, he does, like, the really predictable thing where there's, like, a hunchman who does something wrong or a henchman who does something wrong and he, like, stabs him to death and it's, like, supposed to be, like, an ooh, what a surprising moment, but it's, like, not surprising at all because that happens in, like, every movie and video game ever. And then he, like is like, oh, well, like, I'm mad because you bled on my shoes. And it's like, well, yeah, you fucking stabbed him to death. Of course he bled on your fucking shoes, you fucking idiot. So, and, like, somehow that's supposed to be, like, really, like, great writing. This game is basically the same thing. It's, like, a bunch of these, like, kind of, like, church hicks, and they're running this sort of, like, militant church system, which is not unlike things we have in the United States today. But I don't really care about anything going on in the story. I don't care about the characters. I don't care about the people that you're uh, that you're teaming up with. I don't care about the main bad guy. I don't care about the writing. What I do care about is playing the fucking game. But the game keeps getting in its own way with its cutscenes and its writing and its overabundance of bad writing that that whole situation, the story situation is very um, tiresome to me, but I do enjoy the moment to moment gameplay. That being said, it's like not that different from any Far Cry you've played in the past, like, I don't know, six years. Let me ask you a couple questions here. I agree with you about the story. I've played most of the Far Cry games and I have not finished any of them because I just lose interest, except for Primal. (laughs) I really like Primal a lot. That's my favorite one out of all of them. That was the one that made the most sense to me. Um, So that's kind of the standout to me, but it's also the most different. This one, despite being in Montana, seems like it's kind of just following the same Far Cry mold as the other ones. Um, So... I saw you on Twitter the other day talking about the stealth and how the stealth was bullshit. So I wanted to follow up with you about that because (laughs) I have always found that to be true in basically every Far Cry game I've ever played where they make a big deal about, oh, yeah, you can be stealthy if you want to be. But then when I try to do it, and granted, maybe I'm not the best Far Cry player. Maybe there's something I don't understand about the systems. Maybe, you know, you know, I'm not saying that it's not my fault at all. But I have played a fair number of games over the last 35 fucking years. And so I do like to think (laughs) that I, I know what I'm doing. And I've always found stealth in Far Cry to be really problematic. Like, even when I try my best, I just don't manage to be anywhere near as quiet as I want to be. So are you finding that to be true again this time? I am. However, I don't remember Far Cry 3 and 4 being this difficult with stealth. And part of that could be because I'm just forgetting because I haven't played them very recently. 
But I'm having an issue in Far Cry 5 where, because, like, I I fancy myself, like, a pretty good stealth player. You know, like, I'm really into Deus Ex. I'm really into Dishonored. Like, if you give me a game that allows you to do things stealthy or loud, I will be stealthy as much as I can be. But in Far Cry 5, I, I think the thing that's tripping me up in this game is that the... When you kill someone, if if a, if somebody sees the dead body, it's kind of over and done with, which I understand, like, that makes perfect sense. If you're patrolling a farmhouse and one of the henchmen that was in the post next to you, suddenly he's dead on the ground, of course you're going to freak out. <laughs> but, like, I kind of wish that weren't the case because the game gives you the option to, like, pick up bodies and carry them and hide them. But, like, I don't fucking have all day to be picking up every single body of the person that I'm killing and then dragging them into the bushes and putting them away. Like, especially because the game is very quick to arm you with uh, with a bow and arrow, or you can buy a sniper rifle at some point. So, like, my plan of attack is, like, get on a rooftop, get on a water tower, get somewhere high up where I can see what's going on with everybody, and then try to, like as much as I can, like, pick them off one by one. And obviously, if I'm sitting on top of a water tower and killing dudes with a sniper rifle, I can't parachute down and hide their body and then climb back up and kill another guy and parachute down and hide his body and then climb back up and kill another guy. So, like, part of it is on me because obviously it makes sense that if somebody sees somebody's dead body, they're going to freak out. But it's kind of one of those situations where, like, there's so little margin for error that, like, I'll be on a rooftop, I'll take out, like, one dude with a bow and arrow, and then all of a sudden the whole base is on alert. And it's not the end of the world, but it's just kind of annoying because I, like I said, I fancy myself a pretty good stealth player, and this game makes it just, like, one step too difficult for me, and it gets on my nerves a little bit. So I hate when that happens. I mean, so do you feel like, like, like let's say, like, your example of using a bow and arrow, stealthing some guy... You shoot some guy in the back of the head with an arrow and, like, nobody's around, but, like, is it, like, an invisible switch is flipped and then all of a sudden everybody's on alert, like, no matter what? Or do you feel like, is there some kind of, like, invisible, you know, uh, circumference around him where a noise is made or something like that? Or, <laughs> or, like, can people see all the way across the map with eagle eyes? Like, was there, like, a line of sight from, like, 10 miles away where somebody saw you or something like that? Like, do you know why? I think what happens is... I mean, I think in one of the cases, what happened was I thought maybe I had marked every enemy in my vision because you can do like the binoculars thing where you mark the enemies, you can see them through walls. And also, if you have your dog buddy, uh, Boomer, with you, who is great. I love Boomer. Um, he can sniff out the enemies and it kind of auto marks them for you. I think what probably happened was I either failed to mark someone and didn't know they were there or like a guy with binoculars in a tower like saw a henchman die and then as soon as they saw them die, they were like, oh, this guy died. And, like, things were kind of on alert. But I don't know. It ju it's just really spotty. Like, sometimes I can kill someone, and it seems like I get away with it, and it's totally fine. And I kind of move on to the next guy to kill. And sometimes I kill somebody, and I make the smallest error, and somebody sees it. And then, like, it's all over with. Is there any options for that? Like, I know in certain games you can, um, you know, maybe let the enemy see a shorter distance, or maybe they hear a little bit less. Because, I mean, I agree. I mean, I like stealth in a game. I'm not, like, you know, Mr. Stealth, but, like, I, I enjoy stealth every once in a while when it's done well. But, like, when it's done poorly or when you feel like guys are getting triggered when they shouldn't be or when it just becomes a hassle, it just drags everything down. And I got to be honest with you, in basically all the Far Cry games I've ever played, including Primal, uh, you know, I'll, I'll kill, like, maybe, like, one or two guys and then it devolves into, like, just, like, a giant firestorm every single time. So <laughs> is there anything you can do to change that, like, change the, the sensitivity of the enemies or anything like that? 
Uh, not that I know of, unless turning it to easy mode counts, but I don't know. According to the game, um, putting the difficulty lower, the only thing it uh, affects is um, like how much damage the enemies do to you, I think. Oh, uh, okay. Well, let me ask you about the dog then, because I know people have made a real big deal about uh, the dog being your friend. Um, I think the PR person for Ubisoft even made a big statement about saying the dog actually can't die because a lot of people were concerned that the dog was going to die and that, you know, people, I mean, you want to talk about people who have feelings, like people who like dogs and video games, boy, they got some fucking feelings, I'll tell you that. (laughs) So I want to hear about that. I heard also there's a bear and also like a, not a jaguar, fucking like a puma or a something like that like a mountain lion or something like that <laughs> tell us tell us about that like how does what's what's all about with that well i haven't i've only recruited a few people so they're one of the new systems in the game is called i think it's called guns for hire or gun for hire or something and it's basically just like a system where you can you have like once you like do a mission for there's like certain allies on the map and once you discover them and do a mission for them and sometimes it involves like rescuing them more often than not Um, you can then kind of, like, call them to aid you in battle. Um, And I think they're pretty permanent. Like, maybe if you fast travel, they go away. Or maybe if you, like, jump in a car and, like, ride really far away, then they won't be there anymore. But you can, like, um, call on them to help you, and then they stick around for as long as they can. It's kind of like uh, whenever you have companions in Fallout. It's very, very similar to that. Um, And they all have... The special thing is that they all have their own unique abilities. So, like, Boomer, the dog, who I got probably, like, an hour in, um, like, one of his things is he can smell enemies. So instead of you having to get out your binoculars and mark every enemy or, uh, you know, get out your sniper rifle and hold the reticle over enemies to to mark them, he can smell them and auto-marks them. And I think Far Cry Primal had a really similar thing where there was, like, a saber tooth or something that did the same thing, um... But uh, and so that's really special. He can also apparently pick up guns and bring them to you, which I don't think he's done for me yet. But I generally have my loadout and I don't pick up enemy weapons anyway. So that would kind of be lost on me. But he also can like bite enemies and hurt them. I don't know if he can kill them. I think he can kill them, but it might take a few hits. But there is a bear that I have not gotten yet and I don't know how to get it. I don't think I've gotten that far. Um, If I'm not mistaken, the most hilarious thing about the bear to me is that his name is Cheeseburger and um, I don't think we've ever talked about this on the show, but the word burger is one of my favorite words in the English language because the more you say it, the more ridiculous it sounds. Um, (laughs) But uh, like you have, so there's a bear and there's also like human characters. Like there's a guy, I think who flies a plane. um, And so I think if you call on him to help you in battle, he can do like an airstrike or something or kind of like fly his plane through and like machine gun the situation or like drop bombs or something like that. I have been sticking with Boomer mostly because he's familiar and I haven't felt the need. I like his sniffing ability and I haven't felt the need to try out other people. But I think there's like eight or so... Uh, people total that you can rescue and sort of like um, like recruit for your team. And I think you can upgrade it later to where you can call on more than one at a time to help you. But I haven't upgraded that ability yet. Um, it's pretty neat. Um, it reminds me, like I said, a lot of Fallout because it's kind of cool to have like that companion there with you and they have their special abilities. Um, so it's definitely a neat um, a neat little, uh, I don't know, I guess like new thing for the for the series. Well, that sounds fine. I mean, and overall, I mean, it sounds like 
a Far Cry game, kind of like you said. I mean, I, I am curious, though, because um, we just ran our review uh, written by Stephen Brown, uh, one of our great writers, uh, and I read his review and I, I took it in. I find it really curious that it seemed to be, or at least, I mean, maybe that was me reading into it, but I know a lot of other people had the same feeling that before this game came out, it really strongly appeared as though Ubisoft was going to be, like, making a statement about politics. Um, you know, with Trump happening and with America and the state that it's in, for them to put out a game like this. I mean, like I said earlier, I don't know if that was just like, oh my God, the most ironic timing in the universe, or did they actually really want to build off of that and make a game about it? Um, in his review, in Stephen's review, he said that Ubisoft seemed to be going out of their way to avoid talking about the politics and trying to make it not at all seem like they were talking about America other than the fact that it's in Montana, but like none of the stuff for what he said um, was really a direct correlation to what was happening. I think he said there was a couple Trump jokes, but other than that, like nothing really. So is that what you're finding also? Do you see, do you feel like Ubisoft kind of, I don't know, like dodged a bullet or chickened out or just decided not to, uh, not to fulfill the quote unquote promises that their advertising made beforehand? Um, yeah, I mean, and I read I read his review earlier because I was kind of mad because I was like, ooh, I get to break the news about, like, Far Cry stuff on the show. And then I saw his review go up, and I was like, son of a bitch. I'm not the first person that gets to talk about it in the game critic sphere. <laughs> but uh, I did read his review, and it does seem like that. I mean, honestly, I'm not surprised in the slightest that, that Ubisoft would not, like, that they would, like, withhold making a statement because, like, the game's sphere as a whole is already toxic enough and it's already full of like white boy conservative assholes and you know people who are like oh if they make a statement it's going to be like an sjw game and it's just like a bunch of fucking bullshit so like i'm not really surprised in the slightest that they wouldn't really like try to make a big statement and so far i mean the game, like, for... And I'm only, like, a few... I maybe, like, four hours in. I haven't even liberated one entire area yet, so I'm not, like, super-duper in deep. But, I mean, it's basically just, like, there's a religious cult in Montana, and you are trying to help the resistance. I mean, it definitely echoes things, you know, happening in America, but I don't... I don't think the game has any teeth, nor do I really expect it to, um, which is kind of disappointing. But I mean, we're also talking about Ubisoft as one of like the biggest developers and publishers in games. And you don't typically see like big political statements coming from big publishers like this. So um, I don't know. I'm not really surprised, but I've heard I haven't made it to the ending yet. And I do plan on finishing this game, but I've heard a lot of... Um, like murmurs on Twitter about like the ending of it and how it's like weird or something, or maybe how it's kind of goes off the rails or maybe doesn't really address anything. So I'm interested to see what happens. I have not read anything about it yet, but, um, but also, like I said, I've been skipping cutscenes. So like anytime someone starts talking at me in this game, I cannot hold that circle button fast enough to make them shut up so I can get on with what I was doing in the mission in the first place. So it's kind of turned into this fun game of like, like, oh, okay, so this person's talking to me. Now I'm going to skip it. And, oh, what am I doing now? Like, let me try to put these pieces together because I don't have the patience to sit there and listen to somebody talking to me for a few minutes every time they want me to do some really menial task. So I'm not the best person to ask about the story, but about one hour in, I started skipping cutscenes or some of them at least, because I, uh, there's just not enough time. There's not 
enough time for me to listen to these dumb people talk at me to tell me to go do really stupid stuff. Well, look at it this way. Uh, not only do you get an open world shooter, you've also got like your own personal detective game where you can try to figure out who's doing what and why. Uh, skip every cutscene, and then all you have left are clues about where you're going and what the motivation is. So hey, I know you're kind it's of like, like meta gaming the game, right? Yeah, yeah awesome. I was thinking that because there there was a good like um, I was going to a mission. There was actually a really good uh, moment. I think it was uh, yesterday or the day before when I was playing it. That was like a what they call like. Um, Oh, what is it called? Whenever something like unexpected happens in the game that turns into like a story thing. Oh, what is that called, Brad? I mean, usually just like a side quest, but no, I don't think that's no, what you're that's reaching not what for. I'm, I want to say immersive gaming, but immersive is not the right word. Oh, emergent. Um, emergent. Emergent. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Immersive. Emergent. Emergent. There was a really cool like emergent gaming moment where I got in a truck and I was like driving toward a mission. And as I was getting toward the mission, like, there were, like, cult members outside the truck, like, on the sides of the road, and you could kind of hear them shouting things, and then, like, one of them shot me, and I was like, oh, like, they shot me, I'm gonna keep going, but I think they hit me with, like, some sort of, like, sleeping dart or something, and so my truck kind of, like, careened into a tree, and I tried to, like, back up, and I was like, wow, this is, like, pretty well done, because I thought it was, like, really emergent gameplay, but it was actually, like, a story situation happening, and then once, like, they the cult members like dragged me out of the truck or something as part of the mission and once they started talking at me i skipped the cutscene. and then like next thing i knew it was like oh liberate this camp and i was like okay how did we get from me getting dragged out of this truck to liberating this camp and i kind of don't care but let me just liberate this camp and move on with the game <laughs> but it was it was impressive emerging gameplay because i thought i was just driving to another mission and then all of a sudden it turned into like this pretty well like reeled in story thing but I just didn't care about the actual story that was happening. See, I love when that happens. I mean, I think there's um, a couple different kinds of ways that can happen. Like, I remember Fallout New Vegas being really famous for that, where it wouldn't necessarily be like a mission, but sometimes something would happen, just like the NPCs or the wildlife would kind of interact in like a unique and unpredictable way. And so like you would often see weird things like, you know, a monster coming to attack you, but then there's another monster in the area. So that monster attacks the first one and then, you kind of escape because they're busy fighting each other. And like none of it was scripted. So that that is a really cool moment. I love when those happen. But also, I think what you're describing in terms of like emergent gameplay turning into a story mission, I mean, I the best example of that I can think of is probably like the Witcher, uh, Witcher 3. I know you're not a big Witcher fan, but like you would constantly be like riding across a forest simply trying to get from point A to point B and then something would happen and you'd be like, oh, that was weird. Let me go check that out real quick. And then it would turn into like this full on, like really interesting story quest. So The Witcher 3 was full of moments like that. I love when those things happen. So, I mean, that, it's promising to hear that stuff like that happens because simply going from, like, your map, you see a checkpoint, you go there, you do the mission, you go to another map. I mean, that's boring. It's really boring. Yeah. It's really... That's, like, original, like, Grand Theft Auto 3, like, level of design. Fine at the time, but we've advanced a lot since then. So, I mean, I guess it's probably in Far Cry's favor that they're doing more, you know, emergent-flavored stuff like that. But overall, sounds like it's just more of the same, right? I mean, it seems like if you like a Far Cry, you're probably going to like this one. Uh, you probably know pretty much what to expect. Maybe it's a little more polished. You got a cool dog, but otherwise, Far Cry. <laughs> that is pretty much it. I mean, I'm enjoying it, but it's basically just more Far Cry. All right. Well, we will check back in with you again after you wrap it up, or maybe next week if you got more to say, anything, anything, any revelations or anything like that. Uh, any wrap up before we move on? Uh, nope. I think we can move on. All right. Cool. Let's move on real quick. Um, I don't have a lot to say about my next game. Uh, if you listen to the banter, you can hear me and Corey talking about what we should do. I was almost going to talk about Metal Gear Survive here, 
uh, which I started today and I actually think is fantastic. I'm actually really, really impressed with it and very disappointed that so many people seem just dead set on hating that game because I think it's really great. Uh, but I'm going to put that on hold. We will talk about that probably next week. Instead, I will talk about my original game uh, that I plan to cover, and it's called Deadbolt. was just released on the PS4. I want to say it was last week or maybe the week before that. Really, pretty recently. Uh, I think it came out for under 10 bucks, uh, and it comes from studio who I don't know how to pronounce the name. It's like Hapu Games, H-O-P-O-O, Hapo, Hapu, I don't know. They are the people who created Risk of Rain, which was an indie darling a couple of years back. Did you ever play Risk of Rain, or do you know Deadbolt, or do you know Hapu Games? <laughs> I know, uh, I remember you talking about Risk of Rain, and I remember you not liking it, is that right? Yeah, that game got major, major love at the time, and when I finally got around to playing it, I just did not understand what the appeal was. I just really didn't like it. I was talking to somebody afterwards who said that it was best in multiplayer, and maybe that's why I couldn't see what was good about it, but I was really just like giant question, like giant question marks over my head, like what what's going on? Like why did everybody like this game? I don't get it. But anyway, yeah, same guys who did Risk of Rain. I don't know which one came first, honestly. Because when I did a little bit of research, and uh, yes, I actually did some research this time. Just a little bit. A little bit. Not too much. Uh, but apparently Deadbolt came out in 2016, so it's been a while. And I don't know which one came first. Uh, but anyway, regardless, Deadbolt is on PS4 now. It's a 2D side view game where you play, I guess you're like a Grim Reaper-ish dude. You've got, like, I don't know, like a skull face, but you are also got, like, a bunch of guns. You drive a car, but then you can also turn into smoke. Uh, it's I, it's not really, like, super clear exactly what you are or exactly what the situation is. Uh, but is you're this the game where the PlayStation Store tile of it is, like, the dude looking in through the, like, people? Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. I know. I have looked at the... Now that you're describing it, I've looked at this game on the PlayStation Store, and I thought to myself that it looked exactly like not a hero from devolver yes, that i played yes, and did yes. not like two years ago very 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 similar yes so do not buy this game Corey. this game is 100 <laughs> percent not for you if you were a vampire this game would be garlic stay far away from it don't play this game this is 100 percent not a Corey jam at all uh it looked like my jam though this this is definitely more up my alley i do like these games when they're done well unfortunately this one i cannot say is done very well um, I liked it because it's got a cool little tile like you described. It looks like a guy in a skull mask looking at a, um, a people. People? That's not the right word, is it? What, what is the right word? When you're looking at that hole in your door. People, yeah. What is, is the it a people? What no. the fuck do you call it? It's not a peephole. It's not a peephole. Jesus, what's what wrong with What the fuck is us? it called? Like that hole in your door when you look at, you know, you, there's a hole, somebody knocks, you look through the hole to see who's yeah. in the other side. Hopefully they're not going to shoot a bullet through that when they see the shadow of you looking in the yeah. window. What is the, that fucking, okay, anyway. The door hole. That <laughs> hole, the eye hole in the door. Oh, God. We are the worst fucking podcast ever. We don't even know the English language. You know how many people are listening to this right now and they're like, fuck you guys, this is what it's called. Like yelling I, somebody, at their car stereo. Somebody please tweet us and tell us what this fucking thing is called because we sound like fucking morons. Anyway, the hole in the door where you look through the thing when someone knocks on your door, that's what the dude's looking through. It's a, very, it's a pretty cool picture. Like it's very arresting when you see it. So that's really what got my attention. So good job on that. 
uh, and playing it, I mean, I'm always up for like these kind of like indie 2D, like, I mean, it, it's very much like, like you said, it's kind of like Not a Hero. It's kind of like Ronin. It's kind of like Hotline Miami. It's one of those like indie games where it's really brutal. Like you basically die with one hit and the action is really fast and you have to be really up on your reflexes. And each level is basically like a puzzle. So like, although you may be an assassin and you're going to kill a certain number of dudes, you know, it's, it's really like a puzzle. Like there'd be like a guy with a shotgun on this floor and a guy with a pistol over here. How do you kill this guy without alerting the other guy? Or if you do alert the guy, how do you kill that guy before the other guy gets you? You know, it's, it's very much like a very fast, very quick, very brutal sort of experience. Uh, so apart from me being a little vaguely confused about what the setting of the game is, whether it's all supernatural or what my role is, it turns out that apparently everybody else in the game except for you is like a zombie, but they don't look like zombies. They just look like people and they're green. Like it's nothing, nothing really zombie-ish about them. I mean, they might as well be people because they just walk around with guns and stuff. Uh, so I'm a little bit confused as to why they're zombies, but, uh, so you start each level you walk in to a building and then you can see the entire building because it's like a side view cutaway, like an ant farm type viewpoint. And you can see who's on which floor. You can see which doors go where, where the stairs lead. And so you got to just figure out what's your best plan of attack. So, I mean, it starts out fine enough. And if you can imagine, you know, Hotline Miami from a side view instead of a top down, that's essentially what this is. Did you ever play Hotline Miami, Corey? Oh, of course I did. I played okay. both of them. Okay, so this is exactly what that is. But from a side view other than a top-down view. So you start playing, and at first it's fine because the first couple levels are, like, pretty easy. So, you know, there'd be, like, one guy in a room. You just jump in, get the drop on him, shoot him, no big deal. You go upstairs, another, like, one or two guys, shoot them, no problem. You can run out of bullets, and if you run out of bullets, there's no reloading. You have to pick up a new weapon. So, like, switching the weapons is kind of a mechanic in the game where you've got to be aware of how many bullets you've got left. And sometimes the bullets will go stray. So like you can't like one shot is not guaranteed to be a kill. It usually is. But every once in a while, like a guy will take two bullets instead of one bullet to go down. Or like sometimes you'll miss just on accident or something. Uh, different types of guns you can pick up. You can buy more guns uh, with some money. And then you can start a level with a different gun if you'd like to start off with something else. I mean, it, it seems fine. And it seems, you know, not really revolutionary. I mean, it's very similar to a lot of other games that I played, which is okay because I do enjoy that style of game. Uh, but the problem is that I felt like the controls did not keep up with what the game demanded me to do. So, for example, you know, Hotline Miami is all about really fast, really quick reflex type action. And the game responds to that. Like the, the controls are really super tightly dialed in. Uh, the same thing with like Ronin, which was a really big uh, favorite of mine from a year or two ago. Super difficult, but very strategic. And the, the controls were like really dialed in. So although the action wasn't super fast, not as fast as it is here, you still felt like every time you made a mistake, it was your fault. Not the case in uh, Deadbolt, because there'd be like a number of rooms when like when guys start to crowd in two, three guys in a room. And so you need to get into that room. You got to shoot the guy on the left. You got to turn around. You got to shoot the guy on the right. You got to duck. You got to get the guy further down in the room. Like you can see in your head the order of things that you need to do, but it just doesn't happen on screen. So like I'll jump into a room. I'll point left i'll shoot left get that guy and then i will try to immediately turn to the right but the game is not letting me turn because you have to like let go of the controls for like a fraction of a second to kind of like reorient yourself and in that fraction of a second those guys shoot you because they will shoot you like immediately on sight so it's not like you have any kind of wiggle room it's like you got to get in and act before they can act because the ai will act faster than you can 
but I just didn't feel like the controls were there for me. Like I was often watching my hands do the things that I felt like it should do. Shoot, duck, get down, switch weapon, shoot. And in my head it was working, but it was not translating on screen. And it was always like I would be locked into like facing the wrong way and I couldn't turn the right way because the game needed me to let go of the controller before I could turn the other way. Or something about the controls just just wasn't as responsive. Like the signals from my brain were going to my hands and from my hands they were getting lost on the way to the controller. And that is not a good feeling to have because after I died in the same hallway like 10 times in a row, (laughs) I just didn't feel like it was my fault. Like it was like I knew what I needed to be doing. But I just didn't feel like the game was letting me do it fast enough. Like, I could think it, and I could want to do it. But if you can't make those desires happen, that's a problem. And in a game that is as quick and as lethal as this game is, I mean, basically, one shot, you're dead. I, You know, that is a huge problem. Those controls need to be absolutely dialed in, and I do not feel like they're dialed in. Um, so that was, I mean, that's basically about it. It's kind of like Hotline Miami Side View, but the controls are not nearly as good. But it's every bit as lethal. Um, so... I bailed. I mean, I think I got maybe five levels in and there's not really that many levels. I want to say there's maybe like 12 levels. So, I mean, if you're good at this game or if you can work within this game's parameters, I bet you could probably finish it like in a day. But I just got so irritated to the point that I just didn't want to play it anymore. I just was like, I wasn't willing to put out the work uh, because I felt like this game systems were not meeting me where I needed them to meet me. And I didn't want to be you know, putting in all this extra effort just to get through this thing where I should be shooting these guys. I should be dodging. I should be, I shouldn't have died right there. And whenever I get to that, it's the game's fault, not my fault. That's when I tap out. So unfortunate because I really like the visual style of Deadbolt. And this is certainly the kind of game that I enjoy from time to time. Uh, But it just goes to show you really need to have your shit polished, like, (laughs) you know, to a diamond point in order to sell one of these really difficult games. Um, because if you've got difficulty, but not polished, that is a big fucking problem. And I feel like that's exactly what happened here. So I tapped out. This is a perfect example of a game where there are several near carbon copies of it out there that are exemplary in every way. So why would you waste your time playing this one? Dude, totally. I mean, I get that. I mean, that's a really good point because I I see a lot of games come into my mailbox just as like a critic and as the editor of Game Critics. I mean, I get literally like 100, 200 emails a day from people who want me to look at their game. Not even not even an exaggeration. Uh, and like I see so many carbon copies of other things and I'm like, dude, if X exists, why are you making Y? Because it's already out there. Like there's something that is already as good as it's going to get, you know? Like, I mean... Not to say that there's no original ideas, but like with a game like Deadbolt, I mean, right off the bat, I can think of like four or five other games that are almost exactly like it that are better. And if you're not bringing something to the table that really differentiates you, why bother? I don't I don't know why you would do that. Yeah, I don't know either. And like even I mean, I guess I mean, you know, people can make what they want to make, but like especially when it comes down to like the art style, because sometimes an art style in and of itself can be enough to like really separate it from a different kind of game that is nearly the same. But from what I recall, um, Deadbolt even looks very similar to like Ronin and not a hero. So it's like, if you have a game that plays very similarly and then it looks very similarly, like it, I, it's just like too, it's too murky. 
Yeah, totally for sure. If I showed you three screenshots, like one, two, three, real quick, of like each of those games, you wouldn't be able to pick Deadbolt out of that <laughs> list. You, you just wouldn't. You wouldn't know which one it was. So, agreed. I mean, I guess I'm definitely a big fan of art styles, and a really strong art style can save a game for me. But, I mean, it looks fine, but it just doesn't stand out. And with the gameplay not being as polished as it needs to be, and it being so difficult as it is, I, there's just no real reason to play it when there are other better things out there. So, that's all I've got to say on Deadbolt. I tapped out. Um... I wish it was better because I really was looking forward to it and I did pay with my own money, which makes me burn a little bit. But Aww. whatever, whatever, that's fine. Um, so I think uh, we should probably throw up a big spoiler warning here. Corey, what do you think? I think so too. Okay, so uh, Corey, you're going to go first. So let me outline the spoiler warning here. So everybody listening, heads up. We are about to absolutely 1,015% <laughs> spoil Get Even and a way out. Corey will talk about Get Even. I'll talk about a way out, and we will have mutual questions. Much, much, much spoilage. I'm going to talk about it from A to Z. Corey, I'm assuming you're going to talk about Get Even from A to Z? Uh, from what I can make of the story, yes. Okay, so from as much as you can piece together, <laughs> we're going to talk about it. Uh, so just heads up, folks. This is your final spoiler warning. Uh, there will be timestamps in the show notes if you want to skip ahead and get to the banter, or if you want to just tap out now. Um, there will be no other games that we're going to talk about other than Get Even and A Way Out. Uh, so if you want to bail, we'll catch you next week. Otherwise, we are about to talk about Get Even and A Way Out in spoiler territory. And this is your final warning for real serious. Here we go. <laughs> Corey, Get Even. Um, before you get into your content, I I really want to give you props, man, because I'm we dying about... to know about <laughs> your experience with this game. I got to give you props because you <laughs> called this motherfucker. You were 100% dead on. We talked about it last week, and I thought it sounded really fucking interesting. Like, the way you were just... I mean, you should be a salesman of some kind because <laughs> uh, you you really got me sold on it, and I had actually already uh, downloaded it. If I hadn't have already had it, I probably would have bought it just based on what you told me about it because it sounded so interesting. Uh, but it turns out I already had bought it on sale like the week before, uh, and I, I downloaded it like that night that we talked about it, played it, and you felt like I wouldn't like it because uh, you said, oh, you're going to wander around, you're going to get lost, it's not going to be focused enough, you're going to bail. And I'm like, well, maybe. Yeah, okay, no, you were totally, you were totally right. <laughs> I, st I, started, I started the game, and I'm like, oh, okay, what's going on? Like, I don't know what's going on, but that's fine. You start off a little weird sequence where clearly you're like, in your mind or in some kind of test chamber or something like that. And I'm walking around and I'm like, what's going on? Like this, I'm just walking around and there's these dudes and I don't know who they are and I don't know what's going on, but okay, that's fine. I'm going to hang in there. Finish the first sequence. And I'm like, okay, well that didn't really tell me anything, but that's fine. I'm still, I'm still curious. Uh, so I get to the second sequence and it's like, you're walking around this, I don't know, like a, an estate you go inside some houses. There's like mannequins, but your voice in your ear, who's like your guide or something is telling you that they're patients and I don't understand why. And then I get to this part where I'm supposed to like use my UV light to look at something and I'm looking around and looking around and I can't find it. And I don't know what I'm supposed to be looking at. I'm like, maybe it's in the other room. I don't know. And so I look around the other room and I'm like, nothing's in here. And I go around in circles and I'm like, what's, what am I supposed to do? Like, I don't know what's going on. Turn on the light, turn off the light. I click everything that I can click. I use my scanner. I scan things all around. And like, I mean, so just full disclosure, like I don't like any game where like I don't know what to do and just like blindly searching is what the game wants you to do. I, my time is so limited and I get so frustrated just by, just tell me what to do and let me do it. Or at least give me enough clues that I can figure it out. 
if I'm on the right path, I don't mind, you know, figuring things out for myself. I don't need everything laid out. But, like, there, I just didn't know what to do. Like, I was totally lost, and I was spinning my wheels, and I couldn't figure it out. And I just got really, really irritated. I also get really irritated at games where they want you to look at different visual filters. I know this is really a hyper-specific complaint, and I'm sure a lot of people are like, <laughs> what's he even talking about? What? Like, it, this was the same thing with Observer, if you will recall. Any game where you're in a room... And you need to, like, switch your viewpoint where it's like, oh, put on the red filter, put on the green filter, put on the UV light, put on your tech filter or whatever. Like, whenever you need to look at a filter, I, I fucking pisses me off because I just feel like <laughs> it's too much work. It's too dumb and it wastes my time. And I just like I don't like to do it. And so I got to this UV light. I did. I could not find what they wanted me to see. I didn't know where it was. And I'm like, fuck this. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> fucking deleted that thing and I'm like I'm done I'm going to listen to Corey tell me about this because I don't want to play this any more so you called it dude you nailed it right on I suspected you would not like it however I didn't think that a UV light was going to be the thing that like the straw <laughs> that broke the camel's back for you oh my god <laughs> sent me right over the fucking edge that fucking UV light I don't know what I li I still don't know what they wanted me to look at but I was like fuck it if this is how murky this game is it's not going to get better so <laughs> anyway I tapped out I'm sure that was like 45 minutes into the experience but you have completed the game I'm assuming I have completed the game alright do you want to give us a really really super quick nutshell for people who didn't listen last week and then tell us all about the rest of this fucking game Okay, so Get Even is a game by a development company called The Farm 51, if I'm not mistaken. And it is a... It is so hard to explain this game. It's like a first-person shooter, but it's also a stealth game. And it's also a psychological thriller. And it's also kind of a horror game. And it's also like got this condemned angle where you're doing like evidence collection and like assessing kind of like crime scene stuff. It's very strange. Um, on the last, last show I compared it to inception. I feel like it's perhaps the closest thing we have to an inception video game because the whole thing kind of carries that sort of like inception and like the cell and the matrix kind of weight where you're kind of like playing the game in like a VR headset kind of thing where you're like in a different reality and you can't really tell like what's real and what's fake or who to believe or what's going on. And you play as a guy named, he goes by black. Um, his first name is Cole, which is, um, wins the award for the most creative name in a video game ever. Cole oh dude, black. I was rolling my eyes so <laughs> hard. Could you be even more on the fucking nose with that thing? I mean, Oh my God. <laughs> So you play as him, you are kind of trying to figure out, the first mission of the game is you trying to rescue this young woman who's been taken hostage. You find her, she has like a bomb strapped to her, and you have to try to figure out if you can or cannot free her. Um, I guess since we're in spoiler territory, I'm just going to go ahead and talk about it now. Um, you, no matter how you play the mission, the bomb goes off, and she, like, everything blows up, um... And you, you can't save her. And so the point of the game is you playing through the memories of somebody. It could be somebody else. You're not really sure going in. Um, playing through like a mishmash of like your memories and maybe somebody else's memories and trying to figure out how the hostage situation came about, who she was, who the people who took her were, who was behind all of it. And there's like links to like corporate um, 
like theft and like stuff like that. It's this game has a lot of stuff going on and uh and so last week I had mentioned that kind of one of my big fears for the game was that the story like might not really come together that much. And I'm kind of like partially right on that because like trying to explain the story is not an easy thing to do, but I'm going to try to do my best here. So you play as Cole Black. He's a security specialist for an arms company. During his life, he was tasked at one point with doing corporate espionage for a different arms company and stealing the creatively named Corner Gun, which is, if you can believe it, a gun that lets you shoot around corners. Another A-plus for creative naming here. And you go, you steal the corner gun, you also, like, wipe the servers in this other, um, that, like, when you're stealing it, you, like, wipe a bunch of their servers, you delete a bunch of their data, so it's, like, a double, like, corporate terrorism kind of thing. And so somewhere along the line, you're trying to figure out how that fits together with the kidnapping of this young woman. She's probably, like, 17. Um, And then you're also getting fed these memories of this guy and his wife and like their marriage is kind of not super great. And you learn that maybe he's like cheating on his wife with the secretary that he hired, who his wife doesn't trust. And so there's like a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on, but what kind of sort of happens and I'm not even sure I'm going to get this 100% right. As I recite it back is the woman you're trying to save is your boss's daughter the boss is the one who invented the VR machine that you are using. And because the boss is so hell-bent on figuring out what happened to his daughter and why and figuring out everything that's going on, he's kind of sort of like holding his employees captive and putting them in these VR headsets so that he can like put all their memories together to try to fill in any possible blanks and find any leads on how his daughter was captured, why she was taken, who was behind it, and basically get the entire picture. And it turns out that the character you're playing as, Cole Black, was in on the kidnapping because the guy that he stole the corner gun from, the other arms tech CEO, like, tried to hire him to do it, and then, like, because he did such a good job stealing from his own company, he decided to hire him to get back at the man he works for and kind of, like, blackmails him into doing it. And the secretary that the arms... that your boss, who invented the VR thing, is using, um, like, she was in on the kidnapping, too, because she felt like she was working too many hours and wasn't getting enough attention, and she wanted to kind of, like, disrupt his family dynamic... And so it's like this whole fucking all of the it's like a soap, like a legitimate soap opera going on. And this like weird, like stealthy corporate heist game. But as you progress, you figure out that you're not actually playing as Cole Black. You are playing as his boss who is exploring Cole's memories Because Cole, when he tried to rescue the daughter from the explosion, the bomb went off. He's, like, in a coma or something. So the boss has taken Cole into, like, his basement and has him hooked up to, like, these medical machines. 
and has dived into his mind to figure out what happened to his daughter. But then after that, you come to find out that you're not actually playing as the boss. You're playing as the daughter whose fucking bomb blew up in front of her, going through the memories of her dad, who was the CEO, who was going through the memories of Cole, who was the security guy, trying to piece all of this together. And the story is fucking bananas with a capital B. Actually, the whole word bananas is capitalized, not even just the B. Like, it's so ridiculous. And it's so over the top. And it's so hard to put together. Because at a certain point, the game leads you to believe that the secretary that the CEO was cheating on was murdered. And then, like, at the end of the game, she's not murdered. And somehow, like the daughter and Cole both survived this like bomb going off in front of them, even though Cole's in a coma, like the daughter's in a wheelchair, but somehow she like survived it. It's so weird. And like the multiple like layers of who are you actually playing as is just so fucking bananas. But with all that said, I came out of this game satisfied, oddly enough, like it's so weird. And it's like about an hour or two too long, but there's just something about the strange ambition of it and like the mishmashing of genres and the amount of like kind of silly but interesting storytelling that's going on and the fact that like it kind of keeps dangling that carrot in a way where like you don't really know what the fuck's going on but you're interested enough to keep playing it and like the mechanics of the game are not super duper polished they're good enough but they're not like it's not like i said this last week it's not like a call of duty you know caliber controlling first person shooter um but so it's like polished enough to keep you going and it's just like i don't know like it's it just feels so like ambitiously rare you know like we were talking about deadbolt being this game that's kind of like copied and pasted for a bunch of other games i was just talking about how far cry 5 is um you know it basically just feels like far cry 4 and far cry 3 and everything before it but like this game although it's not like you know an a plus for me it feels unlike anything i've played and i really appreciate that about it like i will take I, I will try to stand by this as much as possible where I will take like a, a flawed but ambitious and different game over a well-tuned copy of another game and get even is all of those things for me. It's just this weird, this like anomaly of a game that I'm really happy exists, even though it's totally fucking bananas but I'm glad I played it and I probably won't be forgetting it anytime soon because it's so strange and it just feels like not a lot of other things I've played. See, you're selling me on it again and I already know that I don't <laughs> like this game because it sounds, it sounds like the kind of thing that I would like, like you're telling me about it and I'm like, yeah, this sounds really interesting. I like things that break the mold. I like things that, you know, tread new ground. I mean, I can't say that I've played like a game where you get triple faked out when it comes time to reveal your identity. I mean, that that sounds interesting, but man, playing it, I just fucking hated playing it. I got to ask you, so how typical was like those first two levels when I tapped out? Was that pretty much how the rest of the game goes? And also, did you feel, and again, this is a kind of a loaded question knowing me, uh, did you feel that like the the searching, the filters, the scanning did that really add anything to the game for you? Like, or would it have been just as fine if you had walked in a room and found some item to pick up and you just got the info rather than having to flip through your various different, you know, gadgets? 
Well, I will accuse the game of there is a little bit too much reading in it because there's a lot of like evidence collection and there's literal rooms where you will like walk into a room and like the game uses photographs as its way of like jacking into people's memories. Like you look at the photograph and you can interact with it and then it like transports you into that memory into the next scene. And sometimes whenever you get to those, it's kind of like a briefing room where there's like the memory in the middle of the room and then it's like, all of these documents lining the walls. And I mean, they don't take more than like 10 seconds to read, but whenever you have like 10 documents on the wall and you're supposed to like read all of them, like the game leans a little bit too heavily on reading. I wasn't really that put off by the evidence collection. Um, because like one thing that I like about the game is that you, you can like hold your little phone in your hand if you want to, if you're not holding a gun and there's a little like green, uh, bar or like a green um, light on the side of it and as you get closer to evidence you can collect it goes from one lights to four lights with four being that you're really close so like most of the time <laughs> okay so pause, pause for one second because I super didn't understand how that worked and they didn't explain it very well so the green light is on the left side of your phone. So I immediately assumed that if the green light is on the left, that the evidence must be on the left side. <laughs> so I ended up like doing like circles like over and over and over because I was like, it's it's on the left. Keep telling me it's on the left. I'm going left. There's nothing here. There's no uh, They needed to really fucking explain that better because I was constantly thinking every piece of fucking evidence in the game was on the left. Yeah, that it's not tutorialized super duper well. But I mean, but that like if you know what's going on, then that's like kind of an easy way and also if you're looking through like the camera function on your phone it generally will like put bracket highlights around the things you're supposed to be scanning so like that wasn't too big of a deal i only had a few puzzles in the game where i was like really stumped and couldn't put things together and had to like look up a strategy guide but i did go back because the game gives you an option at a certain point to go back and play every mission again and try to collect every piece of evidence and i went back through every mission that I could and like look through a strategy guide and collected every single bit of evidence that I possibly could and the levels. So that kind of shows like my devotion to it um, in a strange way. But the weird thing is that the game, I believe that it has two different endings, maybe more. I'm not sure. And a lot of it is based on if you can ghost the levels or if you can, or if you like engage in combat and the game is not, like I said, it's not super duper well mechanically put together. So like, it's pretty easy if you're not being really careful to get spotted by enemies and then it kind of turns into a firefight situation and the combat's not that hard, but I'm led to believe, I don't know this for sure, but I'm led to believe that the two endings of the game depend on how well you ghost the levels. But the shitty thing is like, you have hand-to-hand -hand takedowns you can do if you get close to enemies, and you have a gun or two on you at all times. But I think the game does not differentiate between uh, between killing at all. Like, if you do a takedown or if you shoot somebody, it equates them to the same thing, and it equates them to violence. Where So basically, your only options are to kill stuff slash have firefights or ghost the levels completely. And I feel like that's not a good enough gray area because like in Deus Ex, for example, you have like the tranquilizer gun or in Dishonored, you have like sleep darts or something. And I feel like the game is very binary in a bad way about it being like black and white on killing or no killing because ghosting the game is very difficult. Um, in my opinion, some, sometimes because it's not mechanically well put and sometimes because like, 
the stuff that it gives you, um, you know, it kind of like gives you the gun and then it's like, oh, but don't use it or you'll get the bad ending. And it's kind of bullshit. Um, no, I, so, I, I mean, I can, I agree with that because I only saw a small fraction of the game. And in the part that I saw, I don't know how you would even go about ghosting that level. Like, it seemed like there was absolutely no way to do it. Like, I mean, people were post guards were posted and they were in these small rooms and you had to, I mean, I, I tried to like knock them out and not shoot, but it's like, I don't know how you would even do that. Like, it didn't seem to me like, like an optional situation at all. Yeah, it's definitely not um, not ideal, especially for me being like the kind of stealthy player that I was. Because I tried to be um, I tried to be as stealthy as I could, and I even would like I would do like silenced headshots, or I would do like I would knock people out. And then toward the end of the game, whenever you're kind of like wrapping stuff up, it gives you a pretty blatant like like warning, like a hey, we're about to wrap things up. Do you want to go? Like, here's how you perform. Do you want to go back and fix anything? And like. It, for every single level, it was like, it does like an evaluation for you. And it was like, oh, you were, um, you know, I don't remember what the word they use, like confrontational, I think is the word they use for it. It's like, oh, for mission one, you were confrontational. For mission two, you were confrontational. For mission three, you were confrontational. And I was like, okay, like I know I killed a lot of people, but it wasn't like an all out firefight in every single level. So I was a little mad that they like basically made it so black and white and that they didn't like, you know, if you were violent at all, that it was suddenly a bad thing, even though they're like arming you with two guns. So it, that was a little bit, um, bothersome for me because I'm interested to know what the other ending is. Uh, but I'm not going to go back and ghost every single level in order to figure it out. Maybe I can just like look it up on YouTube or something, but, um, that's one thing that really bothered me. But, um, to answer your other question, which I haven't answered yet, I mean, pretty much what you played is pretty representative of how the game is. I mean, like, Part of it is levels where you're going through and you're collecting evidence and you're like playing through the memories. And part of it is um, being in the asylum area where you're kind of like you like think you're in the real world, but you're not in the real world and you're trying to figure out what's going on. And sometimes there's like mannequins around and doing weird stuff. And there's like other characters and I mean, and like evidence collection and reading. And sometimes you play in these abstract memories where it's like you're kind of like walking through this like void and there are like little like cutscene things that pop up kind of in front of you and then characters go through dialogue and you kind of like learn more of like the inner workings of um, like what happened in these characters' pasts and like living through their memories and stuff like that. But I mean, that's basically it. Well, you've done a really good job of selling it to me because I think you, <laughs> you really, like hearing you sum it up works for me, but like knowing how I felt when I was playing it I like I literally couldn't have been less interested in playing it because the way that it comes out is just not my jam. I think it's a, a really good case of telling and not showing because like you said, there was a lot of evidence collection, a lot of reading, a lot of like picking up clues and stuff, which I think is fine in moderation. But like I don't know, I it's it's like the seasoning, you know, like I feel like you season that stuff on top of something else and it can be a really tasty package, but if you just have that, like no one wants to eat a plate of just salt, right? And so like I feel like that is not enough. Um, for me, I mean, clearly it was enough for you because you seem to really like it and go through it multiple times and you finished it and you're going to look up the second ending on YouTube, which is cool. And I know that that's definitely more your jam than mine. And I, I wish that I liked it more. Uh, but yeah, I don't see myself ever coming back to it. And I'm glad that you told me what's up because it does sound sufficiently crazy. But <laughs> yeah, in practice, ugh, I'm glad that I bailed and I don't think I will ever come back to it. So I don't know. Overall, how successful do you feel this was as a project? I feel, I mean, for this to be, like, an original IP and to be as ambitious as it was, 
and to be published by uh, Namco, Nam, what Nam, what is it? Bandai, Namco, Namco Bandai, Namco yeah, Bandai, that one. Whichever. Yeah. Um, I feel. I mean, I feel like this is a successful game. Like it's, you know, it's kind of batshit crazy, and the story is like ridiculous, and it like pushes a lot of elements together that maybe shouldn't be together, but. It's just, like, a case of it being incredibly memorable for me. And I was, like, constantly engaged with what was going on. Like, it wasn't, like, Far Cry where I was skipping every cutscene and didn't care about the dialogue. I mean, the story is, like, out of control ridiculous. But in a charming way and in a way that actually, like, led me to want to know what was going on. So I feel like this is a successful game, and I'm happy for it. I just kind of wish that it would have gotten, like more polished because it feels mechanically kind of like a playstation 2 era like james bond game kind of yeah that's pretty fair yeah and it just it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like it came out in this generation i wish that it did but it's fine enough on its own all right well that is get even i think you did a really thorough deep dive there and you did uh, a really good job of encapsulating what's good maybe these guys will take these lessons and do something Maybe in the same spirit, but maybe a little different, maybe a little more actiony, or maybe something that, you know, takes advantage of the medium a little bit more than it did. But, uh, well, I, I'm glad you played it, and I'm glad you told me about it, because I, you know, probably wouldn't have ever really checked into it if without you selling me on it. But, uh, yeah, not my jam, sadly, but I'm glad we talked. <laughs> same. All right, so now it's my turn to talk, and I'm going to be circling back to A Way Out, which we talked about last, was it last episode or not? I think it was two episodes two episodes ago? ago yeah maybe two episodes ago um i meant to get to it sooner but because uh you need to have two people oh, i'll recap real quick this is the the game coming from joseph fares or fairies uh the guy who did brothers a tale of two sons this is his next project where you play as two guys who are escaping from a prison and this is the game where you absolutely need to have two live players uh there is no solo mode it's it's dedicated co-op so it took me a little longer than expected to get enough time for my wife and I both to be available at the same time to play through it. Uh, otherwise, I would have gotten through it a lot quicker. So apologies for that uh, delay in coverage there, folks. But last time we talked about it, I had only been through about maybe like a third or half. I have now completed the entire game. My full review is also up at Game Critics, and I am now going to talk about my further thoughts in general before i get to that Corey, have you looked into this game any further have you played it did you read my review any other thoughts uh from you before i i launch ahead here i it's on my gamefly queue and whenever i get it i'm uh hoping to play it with patrick but i've seen I, it's interesting because like i've seen a lot of just like on twitter basically people talking about it and it seems like the word on the street is that people seem to think it's, like, really good and, like, innovative and fun. And then I hear you talk about it, and you kind of don't think it's any of those things. And I tend to <laughs> believe you over, like, like 500 people could be like, oh, this game is so amazing, and it's new, and it's innovative, and it's clever, and this and that. And then you could be like, oh, actually, it's kind of not any of those things. And I'd be like, well, I believe Brad. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you very much it means a lot to me that you would uh give credence to my words like that that is very that is a huge compliment so thank you very much um yeah so i my review came out not a very favorable review people 
let me know that they did not care for my opinion. I got actually a number, a number of tweets, and I got a number of really nasty emails oh my from people who said that I didn't know anything about gaming, that I didn't like games, that they should get somebody who knew what games were about. Well, who's this Joker even doing? He didn't even play this game, et cetera, et cetera, and a lot of other things which I do not care to repeat on this podcast. Uh, yeah, people are fucking pissed about my review, which is weird. I mean, I... I mean, I, I get there's a certain number of people who don't like bad reviews anyway. Like, you could take the worst game in the world, put out a bad review, and, like, it doesn't matter what game it is. Even the worst game in the world has a small, dedicated core of fans. Like, it's just a truism in the game industry. It doesn't matter how bad your game is, there's always fans. Like, there always is. So I expected a certain amount of people to be telling me that I was a shithead or something. But, like, the pushback on this was actually pretty surprising. So, I mean, apparently there's a lot of people out there who really like this game. And you think it's great. And that's fine. I totally respect your opinion. Not trying to take that away from you. Uh, but I feel like I did a pretty thorough job of explaining why I do not think this game is as good as his first game. And not really even that good in general. Um, but boy, the, the, the pushback was pretty intense. So I will just, I'll, I'll circle back. I'll explain a little bit more. And I'll get to the ending and about why I think this game just doesn't work in general. So like I said, this is a cooperative, dedicated co-op game. One person plays the older, wiser prisoner. One person plays the younger, kind of hothead prisoner. You work together to escape a prison, which I initially thought was going to be, like, the bulk of the game, but that is not the case. <laughs> you get out of prison really quick, like, within the first quarter or the first third of a game. And it's actually really easy. Like, it's not even not even remotely difficult. You get out and you start doing all this cockamamie stuff once you're free. Like, you start doing this, like, I don't know, cross-country adventure bullshit. Like, you roast some salmon at a campfire that someone conveniently left for you. You go fix up a broken car and steal the car. You rob a gas station because you need some money. Uh, one of the guy's wives is pregnant, so you go into the hospital, despite the fact that there's, like, this, like, statewide manhunt for you, and you show up with, like, no no disguise, and you just walk right into the hospital and, like, do all this, you know, shenanigans in the hospital. I mean, it's just like this, like, the story is not very realistic or compelling in a way that makes a lot of sense. Like, when these two guys get in a canoe and they start paddling down a river because that's the only mechanic the developers could think of to get two people doing the same thing at once, like it, it starts to feel like the game is is working to fit in the mechanics rather than the mechanics supporting the game, if you know what I mean. Like, uh, there just weren't a lot of places in the game where I felt like you really needed two people. And more often than not, it was some weird kind of bizarre situation like, oh, hey, here's a catwalk, but I can't cross it because... There's a little platform on wheels on the catwalk, which is not really even a thing in real life, but there's one right here. And so one guy's got to get on the catwalk and the other guy's got to twizzle his stick in the clockwise direction to get me across the catwalk. Like in any other game, you would have walked across the catwalk and just gotten about your business. But in this game, like the, the function of actually doing that action is really why you're here. And it's not fulfilling. It's not really interesting. Um, there's another part where uh, I talked about this in my review where you're trying to carve the tunnel to escape out of the prison. One guy is chipping away at the brick wall behind his toilet and the other guy is looking at the bars. Uh, but because this game is split screen all the time, which I didn't even talk about that yet. I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead a little bit. <laughs> the game is split screen 100% of the time, even when you're playing on two separate consoles. So it's like you're you can see what the other guy is doing. So you don't need that person to be your lookout. There's no communication happening. Um you know, like, it just, a lot of the game just doesn't really feel very compelling. Like, one, there's one section where one guy's driving and the other guy is in the back of a, a pickup truck and he's shooting. But it's, like, so janky and so rough. And it goes on for, like, forever. Like, you kill, like, 
a thousand local state troopers who like are following up behind <laughs> you and they're you know it's like this giant like death parade of like burning cars all across the state and i'm like this is ridiculous it's not realistic at all like it feels like a really cheap action movie um just not fun uh apparently you know later on the story goes through a bunch of like you know twists and turns they really try to get you to feel things for these characters but it just doesn't work um the situation already is kind of sketchy where like two guys meet in prison and they are both wronged by the same you know the same bad guy villain who's on the outside uh, there's reasons for that later, but like as you go throughout the game, it's just like they're just going from one thing to another. Nothing really major happens. Like you don't really spend a lot of time getting to know them. You don't really feel very connected to them. I mean, they try to like pull the heartstrings when it brings in the families. Like each guy has a family. One guy's wife is pregnant. The other guy has a wife and a son. And so you spend a little bit of time with them. That part was fairly successful, but again, just nothing really big happens and nothing really significant happens. And it just, it's really anxious to get you to the next little scene where you're twizzling sticks or you're pushing buttons or you're doing some kind of like very mini game like activity where you, you're just doing something together. So like I kind of thought that this game would be more like we are each complete characters trying to do complicated tasks and working together. But that's not really what it is. Like all you're doing is like you're doing like a bunch of quick time events. And so it doesn't really feel like you have a lot of agency with your character it doesn't feel like you're making choices. Like you're just like, oh, we're in this room and there's literally nothing to do in this room except for both of us to push square on the door at the same time. Like there's no figuring things out. Like there's no, it, I mean, it's, it's really hard to fail anything too. I mean, not like I like to fail in a game, but it felt like there was like no stakes, like at any point, like you just walk through from mini game to mini game, clicking a couple buttons, moving your stick, you just move on. And then just, you know, the, the game kind of just unrolls in a really, breezy painless really easy fashion like very path of low resistance but it just doesn't feel satisfying like it just feels like the whole game is about doing these little mini games rather than actually going on an adventure rather than actually performing this for real prison breakout rather than doing things that actually make a lot of sense um it's not like i needed an open world kind of a game or anything but like a lot of these sections that the game presents to you are so focused on getting you to do this one cockamamie thing or there's just these situations that just don't feel very real. Like they feel very obviously structured to get you to do this action with your partner, but it just, it's not compelling. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So very unsatisfying from that aspect. The rest of my dissatisfaction stems from uh, the story. And you, did you say that you had heard something about how the story wraps up or the final third of the story? I have not heard anything about the story. Okay. I must be mistaken. You're somebody else. My bad. I heard somebody talking about that and that was really a big sticking point for me. So, um, as the game goes on, like you're just doing dumber and dumber things. Like you, it's just, I mean, uh, just the stuff that happens, like you really have to put aside your, um, your disbelief. You really have to like hardcore suspend disbelief because the stuff you do is just bonkers and it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And so at one point you discover that the villain that you're after is in a complex in Mexico. So you guys like rent a plane you fly to Mexico and like you like get to Mexico and you got these guns. You're going to shoot up his whole compound. And I'm like, this is dumb. This is super dumb. Like you guys wanted to escape from prison. You escape from prison. You've got families. I mean, you could be talking about this in a more, I don't know, just like a more realistic way. It just seemed like a very, very cheesy, not serious. We're going to go get the bad guy, shoot up his whole compound. He had like 10,000 thugs in his compounds, giant, like Colombian drug lord estate. And it was just like, really shitty shooting mechanics were really bad and it just didn't make a lot of sense that we were there doing this thing so 
we do all this, and we're kind of just rolling our eyes. I mean, at one point, we're, like, escaping on dirt bikes. We're jumping off ramps, and the whole thing is just fucking stupid. So <laughs> we get back to uh, we get back to America. And so here's the, here's the spoiler part. Now, I have – there's pretty significant spoilers in the final leg. Are you sure you're okay with me spoiling the whole thing? Go for it. Okay, so what happens is – and this is where – this is where you're like, oh, okay. This is your brother's moment here. So – you get back to the States, and when you land the plane coming back from Mexico, there's all sorts of FBI agents waiting for you. And you're like, what the fuck? And at first, it seems like the pilot sold you out, but that's not actually the case. Because it turns out that the older, wiser prisoner is actually an undercover FBI agent the whole time. So he's been stringing you along, the younger, hot-headed guy, who is actually a criminal. Uh, he's been stringing you along in order to get the location of the bad guy that you just killed in Mexico. Which, by the way, not really what the FBI does. I mean, I'd never heard of them... I mean, I don't know, maybe they go and send assassination missions, but if you're doing like an undercover mission, it seems like you would want to gather the evidence, arrest the people, get the get the goods back, not just like kill 10,000 Mexican citizens and then steal the stuff. Whatever. It doesn't, make, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Don't think about it too much. So you get back. And so what happens is the game at that point pits you against each other rather than having you continue to work together. So like once it's revealed that one player is the FBI agent, which you didn't know at no point, it all of a sudden becomes a chase where the FBI player is chasing the criminal player. This ludicrous fucking chase happens where you're like on a boat and you're running and then you're on top of buildings and all this stuff. And it eventually culminates uh, with you two guys having this giant shootout shooting each other. So like, so keep in mind, you've been working as a team this entire time. I'm sitting here with my fucking wife. Okay. We don't play versus. <laughs> We don't play against each other because we are husband and wife. That's so strife in your family. You don't do that. Same, I mean, I don't know how you guys are, but like, we don't like to do verses because one person ends up feeling bad. Whatever happens. Like, it's just not a good time. Co-op. Co-op is what I'm here for. So it turns out that you guys end up ending the game as enemies. You go through this ludicrous fucking shootout where you have to shoot each other. And I'm sitting here with my wife going like, I, I don't really want to shoot you. And she's like, I don't want to shoot you either. And I'm like, okay, can we just... Can one of us surrender? No. Can we talk it out? No. Is, can I just turn myself in? No. You have to go through this whole fucking ludicrous like sequence of events. The escape, the boat chase, the rooftops, the shooting. You can't not do any of it. And like neither one of us wanted to do it. Like we had built up this, you know, faux friendship by being prisoners who escaped and we're on the lamb together this whole time. And we are in real life, husband and wife, who are best friends. And so like I don't want to ever like shoot my wife in a game and she doesn't want to shoot me. And we're sitting there, we're sitting there in the shootout. And I'm like, I'm not shooting her. She's not shooting me. We're waiting for something to happen. Nothing's happening. Like we're trying as much as we can to do something else in order, you know, not kill each other. And the game just doesn't let you do it. So they force you through the shootout and we just like, I shoot her a couple times. She shoots me a couple times. We take turns. We're trying to make it even so that we can kind of, you know, neither one of us will come out on top of the other. It culminates on this rooftop where there's one gun and both guys are crawling towards the gun. I'm sure you can see where this is going. You have to jam on the square button as quick as you can. And I'm like, clearly there's one gun. Clearly one of us is going to have to shoot the other. I don't want to shoot you. And she's like, I don't want to shoot you either. I'm like, let's just stop. Maybe we can both bleed out on the rooftop and we'll just die here together. And nope, can't do that. And like, no matter who gets the gun first, it becomes you have to kill the other person. So like, I let her... Uh, get the gun. So she, I just stopped pushing my button. I just kind of like put my controller down. She pushed the button because the game needed you to do something. 
She picks up the gun, and when you pick up the gun, it automatically aims it at the other player's chest. And I'm like, well, can you shoot me in the leg or something? Maybe <laughs> just, like, wound me, and then I can go to prison, and then I'll get out of prison, and I can still be with my family and my wife and kid. And then you can be the hero, FBI agent who caught me. No. You can't shoot in the shoulder or the leg. You can't shoot to wound. You can't do a warning shot. You, I'm sitting here not doing anything, providing no resistance, and you can't handcuff me. You have to shoot them in the fucking chest. That is the only option the game allows. I was fucking pissed. I'm like, there's a many, there's many ways this game can end. And we, you spent the whole time in this game, like making us be friends and working together. And I am, I am friends with this person in real life. Why are you making me do this? This is not a great mechanic. So we both were just like, oh, this sucks. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this either. This is making me feel bad. Agreed. Like you just couldn't end it. So like I let her shoot me because literally nothing else could happen. And then at the very end, after you fucking shoot, after one of you shoots the other, you guys have this tender moment where one of them says, oh, I'm sorry. And then like you have this little like little man, man moment where like you're holding hands, kind of like a handshake, kind of like a little a hand hug. And you look at each other's eyes like, oh, I'm sorry, bro. And I'm sorry, too, bro. But it's like, fuck you. Like, why did you shoot him? Why did you kill him? There's like a thousand other ways this could have ended. Uh, it just felt so forced and so awkward and so heavy handed. Like he wanted you to feel sad about what was happening. You will feel sad. This is your friend. We're going to make you feel sad. And it just didn't make sense. It's not what we wanted to do. It didn't fit with the rest of the game. It felt very forced. And so she shot me. We watched the ending of my wife and kid virtually, you know, being sad. The guy that shot me tells them the news there. No, now she's a widow and he's an orphan. He goes back to his wife and has his life, et cetera, et cetera. End of story. I go back and I go to YouTube and I check how it would have went the other way. Basically the same thing. If the other guy gets killed, then you stay with your wife and kid, but his wife becomes a widow and his daughter becomes an orphan. And then you go on and live life on the lamb or something. It was just super, super, super not satisfying. Uh, did not appreciate the turnaround of mechanics. I didn't feel like it was in line with what the game was building towards. It felt like a very cheap twist. And I, it was really unwanted. It was undesired. I mean, I didn't want to feel that way with the partner that I was playing with that we'd spent six hours together working on this stuff together with. And the whole thing was just like even more ludicrous than what had come before. Like it was just so ham handed and so artificial and so railroaded. Like it was impossible to feel anything except for resentment towards it. So I did not like this game at all. I felt like the, the team mechanics were very simple minigame QTE-esque. I felt like the writing was terrible. Uh, and the, the twist at the end was so forced. Like it was so obvious they wanted you to feel feelings and they just were not earned. Not only were those feelings not earned, it was not a desire of either one of us. We were we would have done anything if one of us could have surrendered to the other one or if we could have just done a wounding shot and not killed the other person. Like I, it was stupid that it ended the way it did. And I we both walked away from this game feeling really just bitter and disappointed with it. This is setting off all kinds of alarm bells in my head about gameplay situations that I don't enjoy. Um, it reminds me, the first thing it reminds me of is the Uncharted series because that series is famous for basically the developers saying, hey, we want to have parts of this game take place in this set piece and this set piece and this set piece and then we'll just write the story around why we want you to be here. And it also, and there are several examples for this, but the game that I immediately thought of um, was The Last of Us also, because there's a point 
in The Last of Us toward the end where you're like holding up like a, a hospital room and the main character is pointing the gun at like doctors and nurses. And whenever I played that section of the game, I, I waited. I was like, well, I don't want to murder this doctor. Like he doesn't really have anything to do with the scenario, but the game won't let you do anything other than shoot him. And I was like, this is dumb. Like, why do I have to do this? And I, I don't like whenever games force you to make decisions like that just so that they can, like, pretend like it's going to have an emotional impact. Like, the more you talk about this game, the less interested I am in playing it at all. Yeah, it's tough because I know there's a... I mean, you know, there's the kind of game where the player is making a lot of decisions, and that's one type. And then there's also the other type where it's scripted, and the director has a story he wants to tell and i think that's fine too i mean i enjoy both types but in a game like this where you are really wanting that emotional investment like it has to make sense like you really have to like thread that needle carefully you have to bring the player along on your emotional journey like they're not going to be invested just because they've spent six hours with this i mean i've played i've played games i've hated for longer than six hours so it's you can't assume that people are going to be emotionally tied into what's going on and if what's going on just I mean, if you have an idea, great. But, like, if you can't pull that off and you force the player to jump through all these hoops, at, at, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. If I, as a player, can think of ten other ways I would like this scenario to go and you're not giving me a choice, that feels cheap. It just feels like I'm being forced and I don't, um, you know, I, I detach even further, you know. So I feel like this game is a pretty egregious example of that where it's almost like they want you to... I mean, it's not like it's a choice game. It's not an open world game. It's not. It's not like a telltale you choose your own adventure sort of a thing. But I just, I feel like with the two of us working together with cooperation being the key and the focus to do this kind of railroading at the end really sells it short because with both of us as being players, I feel all of a sudden that neither one of us now has any kind of choice whatsoever. And that might be fine if I'm playing by myself, but to have another player or a live player next to me and my wife, no less, both of us not wanting to participate in what the game is giving us and not having a choice. I mean, our only choice is to like turn the game off and just stop playing or just finish it. It just, it felt even worse. Like it felt worse that two of us now, neither one of us happy, neither one of us wanting to move forward and yet not having choice. That felt to me like really awful. And it, I, I don't think that's the feeling they were going for. I mean, I don't know exactly how they felt this was going to play out, but I don't think the developers wanted two players to be pissed off at the game and angry at the stupid choices that we were being presented with. I'm sure they wanted us to feel sad and to feel caught up in it and to feel emotional. And all I felt was frustrated. My wife felt frustrated too. Like this just does not unfold anywhere near what I think they wanted it to unfold. Like, yeah, uh, like, I don't even know what to say except for that. I like, uh, I, don't even really want to play this game anymore. Like, it, it bothers me whenever... And this doesn't happen often, but whenever video games are so obvious about the way that they that they want you to feel that it loses all impact. Like, I felt that way about Nier Automata. I felt that way about Spec Ops The Line, where it's like they're making a game that is so obviously trying to push your emotions into one direction that it loses all like all impact all tension all meaning and then i just get bored with it and it sounds like that's exactly what would happen if i were playing this game 
Uh, you know, those are really good examples. Those are really good observations because I definitely agree with Near Automata for sure. That was one where they tried really hard to make you feel certain things. But Spec Ops The Line is an even better example. I fucking, I hate that game. I think that game is a really <laughs> poor game. Uh, me I mean, too. I get, oh God, I get what they tried to do with it. And I, it, it, it weirds me out when I see people hold it up as like this really incredible experience that you need to play because it is like the ultimate example of fucking like railroading you into something that you don't want to do. And then making you try to feel bad about it afterwards, which is exactly mm-hmm. what happens here. You know, they, they don't give you a choice. And if I don't have a choice, then I don't feel bad about it. I feel like you're a poor developer for not giving me a choice, because if you had done this more adroitly, I would have been sucked in. I would have felt responsible for my actions. But when I don't have a choice, I, I bear no responsibility for that. So I think, yeah, Spec Ops The Line is like the ultimate example. But boy, A Way Out is really close on its coattails. And I just really did not like where it went. So, uh, I mean, if you don't want to have this awkward conversation with Patrick about should I shoot you shoot or you should you shoot me uh, I, I just avoid the whole thing because it is really not good I just don't think it's that good and I think the gameplay elements you're barely even working together like it doesn't even feel like it's even worth it you know it feels like you're just going along on this really like nickel and dime ride where you know the thrills are cheap and uh, where it goes is also cheap hmm. sounds to me like the whole time you were playing you were just trying to find a way out oh, of playing the game. Am I right? Boom. You can drop the mic right there, buddy. You just, you just seal that deal. <laughs> I would knock my uh, my blue snowball microphone over, but it would make a loud noise, and I don't want to edit it out. <laughs> yeah, so that's a way out. Um, that's really, I mean, clearly from anybody listening, I'm sure you can tell that I do not care for this game very much. I liked Brothers <laughs> a lot more. I liked Brothers way more. And it felt like he really wanted to have the same impact as Brothers. But, I mean, Brothers was kind of like lightning in a bottle in, in a few ways. I mean, really interesting mechanics, unusual story, unpredictable twist at the end. Uh, that really caught a lot of people by surprise. And I just you just can't do that again. You know, like you just can't go out and be like, I want to have that same impact again. Like that, very, 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 very difficult to do. I don't know anybody who would willingly take up that challenge. And I think that the director thought that he could. And he really couldn't. This was like a hard, hard, hard fail for me. So anyway, I did like Brothers. I do not like A Way Out. And if you are one of the people who likes A Way Out and you're just raging right now because I savaged your game, I'm really sorry. I don't mean to take away from your enjoyment of it. Everybody's got their own opinions. But uh, yeah, I mean, this game has fans. This game has a lot of fans. And this game's fans are angry at me. But I just I just don't think it earned it. I really don't. Yeah, I... Uh... I don't know. I wonder if I I seriously doubt we'll get any pushback on the show from this, but I'll be interested to see. Well, anyway, that's all I've got to say about uh, A Way Out. I am glad that I'm done with it. I'm glad I don't have to talk about it anymore. Uh, and I think I'm just about talked out for this episode. I feel kind <laughs> of like I had a workout there, like I yelled a lot and breathing hard, sweating a little bit. How are you doing, Corey? You all right? <laughs> yeah, I think I'm okay. All right. All right. Let's uh, Let's bring it home. What do you say? Let's do it. All right, folks. This is the end of another show. Uh, Remember, if you listened all the way through the spoiler section, that there is even more show after the ending music. Please feel free to stick around uh, after the tunes and catch our banter. If you swing that way, otherwise, feel free to bail, and we will catch you next week. And in the meantime, please remember that you can send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like. Also, please send us pictures of where you're at. Send them to sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments for us at gamecritics.com once the show is posted. 
and we are on Twitter as a collective at So Video Games. But beyond that, you can reach us individually. I am Brad Galloway, B R A D G A L L A W A Y, all A's, no O's. Corey, where are you on Twitter? I uh, my Twitter handle is also my first and last name. It's Corey Motley, C O R E Y M O T L E Y. Excellent, excellent, and that is the best place to get a hold of each of us. I'm pretty sure, and uh, that. My friend is another So Video Games in the Can. We will be back next week with another installment. Uh, but thank you very much for listening. And for now, this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. sound to you sound okay yeah you sound like somehow better than usual i don't know how (laughs) (laughs) it is amazing to me how i do literally nothing to my computer but it sounds different every week i don't know what's going on uh anyway sorry for the delay dude we um oh god crazy fucking morning i mean just to give you a little bit of background um you know i'm freelancing etc etc but Gina is also a freelancer. She has been for like many years and she's been kind of doing just the stay at home mom thing and being a homeschool mom for a while. But she had this really good opportunity come up where she could still work from home, but make a decent wage and do some work that she already knew how to do. And all she needed to do was like set up a desk in the back room and it would be good to go. So we're like, yeah, totally. Like, why would we not? want that i mean we've been a single income family for like a really long time and that is really tough especially in seattle very very tough to be a single income family so we're like yeah a little couple extra bucks wouldn't hurt so she's been doing that and she's been doing a great job but the people she works with are fucking morons they're just fucking stupid so i'm not going to get into any like (laughs) super revealing details but basically they had like this weird budgetary shakeup where they're actually so since she's not a staff person she's a contractor she's getting paid like literally peanuts in fact she did the math on it. And like, if you look at how many hours she worked versus what she was actually earning, it came out to be in something like $2 and 47 cents an hour or some shit like that, which is like totally fucking ridiculous considering the quality and the kind of work that she's doing. But it was like, well, I mean, she's basically at home. She doesn't have to go anywhere. She can do it in her off hours. So it wasn't really like a big inconvenience. So it's like, fine, we'll let it go for now. Once we're more established, we'll, you know, we'll make a play for some better dollars next time. Um, So she's been working like nuts for basically peanuts and, you know, they had this other budgetary shakeup. So they're like, oh yeah, we're, we're rearranging the budget and all we had the shortfall and all we're going to have to let you go. And we're like, what? She's working for $2 and 47 fucking cents an hour. And she's the one you fire. You've got to be fucking kidding me. So she actually was actually doing this really important job for this company. And I can't give you details, but it was something that was very crucial. Um, which is, of course, why they pay an outsider nothing to do it, because it's the most important thing they got going. So she's like, okay, well, fire me, that's fine, but, like, no one can do this job, and you're not going to be able to hire anybody but me to do it, so as long as you know that, I'm out. And they're like, yeah, yeah, fine, whatever. (laughs) So they let her go two weeks ago, and then, like, literally the next day after they let her go, she got a call from the people at the office saying, oh, my God, what are we doing? This is crazy. And she's like, I told you. She's like, I told you guys not to fire me because I was keeping your fucking asses afloat. So, like, some big boss or something decided just to, like, randomly cut budget. And he didn't know what he was cutting. So he cut her when she was, like, the last person that should have been cut. 
not only because her work was vital, but because she's fucking like dirt cheap. I mean, that's like, that's not even legal wages, right? Like if she was a staff employee, that would be illegal. So anyway, the boss made a big fucking mistake. Everybody underneath him knew it was a mistake, but he was the boss. So what are you going to do? Right? It's just like, you know, if you got a shithead in charge, you got shithead decisions being made. So anyway, they've been talking to her for like the last two weeks, begging her to come back. And she's happy to come back if they wouldn't pay her again. Finally, finally, long story short, it got worked out, but like a lot of bad shit happened in the two weeks that nobody was doing this work. And so now, you know, they got her back on board and now she's got like this mountain of fucking cleanup to do. And the shitty thing is that only a few people knew that she got fired. Like they didn't really make it public knowledge that they let her go. So everybody still thought that she was still there doing this work because, again, she's working remote. She's at home. Right. So like no one noticed that she like stopped showing up at the office or et cetera, et cetera. So nobody really knew. And so now that she's coming back, people are like jumping down her shit, being like, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And she's like, <laughs> oh I was fired God. for two fucking weeks, you assholes. <laughs> so, oh, God, it's just a fucking mess. So like uh, she was she was literally talking to two people at the same time on the phone when we're supposed to record. And like she had me on her computer and I was writing emails like as her to like, you know, cold <laughs> off people. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. What am I saying to this guy? What am I saying? And I'm like, tap, 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 tap. I'm like, oh, so we got that wrapped up. But, oh, my God. Chaos. Chaos, dude. Living the freelance lifestyle is fucking chaos. So, anyway, she hit her time crunch. She had to take my son to uh, a homeschool thing. So, she's like, I just got to drop this now. I got to go. And she's out. And I will probably pick it back up with her after we're done recording when she gets back. So, this will be my, my respite in the day. <laughs> and yet you're still kind of sort of working in a way oh sort of but this is such a pleasure Corey. i can't think <laughs> of this as work yes agreed so a couple things before we get rolling into the um the banter fest i wanted to ask you a question so in terms of the script i was intending on talking about deadbolt on ps4 mm -hmm. i was all prepared to talk about that but uh, after I, I stopped playing Deadbolt, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm really in the mood to play uh, Metal Gear Survive. I should give that a try because I just feel like this is the right time for that. So I started playing that and I actually have quite a bit to say about that. So I'm happy to talk about it this week or I can hold off and talk about it next week. Do you have a preference either way? It really <clears throat> probably doesn't make a difference, although I know at least one person who listens to the show thinks you're going to be talking about it this week already so um i don't know if it would be like more topical to talk about it this week or not that's fine we can stick with deadbolt and i will just put more time into um see the problem well it'll be it'll be fine because this is totally like <laughs> i don't know if i can even talk about this on the show but like i got contacted no no, no i better i better save i'm gonna oh, trouble if no. i tell the story oh, no. i'll tell you after we stop recording just remind me to tell you the story afterwards <laughs> okay it's not not i was almost gonna tell it and like nah that little spider sense is going off. That's going to come back and bite me in the ass. Oh, I don't want to get you in trouble. Yeah, I'll tell you afterwards. That's fine. Sorry, sorry, listeners who are listening to the banter. I can't. I I think it would be better if I didn't tell that story on the air. So let's let's save that. Anyway, okay. I'll stick with Deadbolt and I'll talk about Metal Gear Survive next week. That sounds totally fine. Good. Okay. Good. 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 How, script looking okay to you? Yeah, it looks fine. You're still planning on talking about a way out, correct? Yes. 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 Boy. Some people out there are fucking assholes. Let me just tell you that. Like, ugh. We'll, we'll get into it on the show. But anyway, let's let's banter a little bit about something. Um, I got a bunch of shit to talk about unless you wanted to go first, dude. Okay, I'm glad you have a lot to talk about because I have, like, I was, like, sitting at the office today thinking about, 
like, man, what am I going to talk about for banter on the show? And then I was like, oh my God, I haven't done like anything exciting in the past week. Cause like last week was spring break at work. So I didn't really like do a whole lot of work. And then I didn't do a whole lot after work during the week. And I did like a pretty like rad photo shoot on Saturday, but like, that's like all I ever talk about for banter is like, oh, I took these pictures. I did these pictures. So it's like not really that interesting to talk about. Um, and that's, yeah, like I haven't really been doing anything interesting. So I'm glad that you have stuff to talk about. See, that is the problem when you have like a really cool interest that you like throw yourself into because like you end up putting like all your free time into that thing. So you get really good. You, you know, I'm sure, I mean, your pictures are getting better and better. I've seen the pictures you've been posting and stuff and like, I'm sure that, like, the photographer Corey of now is, like, you know, way more leveled up than the, the photographer Corey <laughs> of last year, right? Uh, you know, you've, you've got some skills in the skill tree unlocked. You've gotten, like, you know, the better the better, the better gear. You're, you're way more advanced photographer. But, like, you know, that's, like, all you end up talking about because that's, like, what you do all the time, right? I mean, it's, like, you know, luckily we play games, and so that's really what we talk about most of the time. If somebody asked me what I did other than games, I wouldn't really have, like, anything to say. So I totally get you when you're, like, I don't have anything else to talk about. Makes perfect sense. But that's okay. I am here to cover the banter section. I have actually a shitload to talk about. Have you ever seen a TV program called Naked and Afraid, or have you heard of it? Uh, yeah, I've seen, like, a decent handful of episodes, um, just kind of, like, on and off. But I've never, like, seriously watched, like, a whole season or anything of it. All right. So, like, I... I had heard about it. I, when I go to work, there's this one guy who is, like, super inappropriate at work, and he talks about all this stuff he shouldn't be talking about. <laughs> oh, my God. But but he knows I'm not going to rat him out. So, like, he kind of, like, tells me all this shit, and I'm like, you shouldn't be talking about this. You know that, right? Like, I hope HR is not listening to you. Uh, but, you know, whatever. General, generally decent guy otherwise. Uh, and he loves this show. He was telling me about it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. And then we were flipping on iTunes or something, and it came up in the feed. And my son's like, what's that? What's that? Because he really wants to see naked people these days. That's what he's into. <laughs> so, and we're not, you know, we're super positive, uh, body positive, body image. Like, we're not trying to make naked people be this, like, horrifying thing that kids should never see. And it's not gross or it's not just porn. I mean, you know, people aren't, he sees himself naked when he goes in the bathtub. You know, he's. You know, people are naked sometimes. It's just like a fact of life, right? So, like, you know, we go to the the pool. We take them to the pool. We go to the changing room. People are naked in there. And it's not, like, anything to flip out about. So, uh, not pleasant, but it's not anything I want to flip out about either. So, anyway, we're like, yeah, okay, that's fine. We'll watch We'll watch Naked and Afraid and see what this is about. And this is the craziest fucking show. So, basically, if people listening haven't seen this show. So, like, they take, producers take two people. It's always one man and one woman, which I kind of go bullshit on. I mean, is this like some kind of an Adam and Eve thing? Like, that's stupid. Like, they should have two <laughs> chicks one time, or they should have two guys one time. I mean, it would be totally fine, right? Like, like I don't know why it's one man and one woman. Um, so they, they pick a man and a woman, and then they pick some, like, really fucking hostile-ass fucking environment. Like, the ones that I saw <laughs> were, like, one was in, like, the Florida Everglades, like, super, super deep in the Everglades. One was, like, I don't know, some, like, coast of Brazil where it was, like, fucking desolate as shit. There's one where it's like, uh, like Guiana, where it was just like 142 degrees, like every day or something. I mean, like super remote, uninhabited, desolate, like dangerous places full of bugs and disease and shit. And they drop these two people off buck ass fucking naked in the middle of this fucking place. <laughs> and, uh, they're strangers, so they don't know each other. So there's the awkwardness of like, hi, how are you? I'm naked. And you are also, let's be friends. Uh, and they also can bring, like, one item. I'm a little bit unclear on the rules. Like, it seems like sometimes they bring two items, sometimes they bring one item. 
Maybe it depends on how harsh the environment is. I'm not really clear because they don't say what the rules are. But, like, usually people bring, like, a knife, like a machete and a fire starter or, like, a bucket so that they can boil water. Like, like a pot, like a metal pot or a knife. Or sometimes somebody bring rope. And I thought rope was going to be stupid, but it actually ended up being really a smart choice. <laughs> so they do that. And then they just, like, they film it for, like, 21 days. So they have to stay in the wild for 21 days. No supplies at all. And they're fucking ass naked. So, like, you got to, like, find water that's safe to drink. Find food that you can eat. Find a place to, to sleep because you're out in the fucking elements and it's either really hot or really rainy or really cold or really dry. And so, I mean, it's been fucking fascinating, dude, because, I mean, I'm not a survivalist. I'm not a backpacker at all. I don't like, I mean, I'm, I am Mr. Indoors. Like, I, you know, if I don't have a blanket on me, I am feeling uncomfortable at home. So I need to, like, be covered and protected and <laughs> soothed at all times. I am not, I am not the go out in the woods guy. Um. So just seeing these people go out there and they're just fucking dirty and they're like sitting in the mud and they're like catching a grasshopper. And they're like, oh, my God, this grasshopper is delicious. I haven't eaten in like 14 days. And this tastes like lobster to me. And I'm like, all these just weird things happen. And they just seem to be suffering and just like having the worst time. But like it is so fascinating to watch them and how you see some people totally just deal with it. And they just just deal with it. And then they're fine. Some people totally fucking crack and they get weird and mean and the start shit all the time and like the drama factor goes up like you can see it really quickly like in the first couple days you can totally see who's going to keep their head and just get through it and who's going to be fucking trouble like and the funniest thing was they had this guy on this is season four that we're watching now um this guy who actually was a really eccentric guy who i guess spends a lot of his time in the mountains by himself him and his dog uh so he got dropped off and they were in thailand Oh my God. It looked like, I mean, it was beautiful if you just looked at the scenery, but like, it looked like a fucking hellhole when they were there, like all these shitty monkeys all over the place and these fucking spikes all over the, like thorns and poison and Oh God, it looked awful. Anyway. So they dropped this guy off and this guy is totally chill. He's like making jokes. He's just like kicking back. He like made some traps and like caught some rats and he was eating fish and he's just like, Oh man, this is pretty good. This chase looks like squirrel back home. He's like, you know, because this dude lives on a mountain all the time. It just got warmer for him. That was like the only difference was like he went from a cold <laughs> climate to a warm climate. Totally chill. And like the lady that he was with was like freaking out and like didn't know how to get things working. And like, I mean, he basically kept her alive and himself alive. And he like didn't even look bothered. I mean, that to me was really amazing. Like he just was like, he was all about it. So anyway, I think the show is really fascinating from the survival aspect and seeing how people get creative about what they eat and how they survive, but also just like the psychological aspect. I mean, it's really fascinating to see who makes it, who doesn't, who stays sane, who doesn't fascinating stuff. Dude, I really enjoy it. Did you, uh, did you like the episodes that you seen? Yeah. I mean, I've seen, uh, like I said, like a handful and I mean, they all like kind of like more or less play out the same way. Um, it's always like, you know, a, a dude and a woman and, at the beginning of the episode, they talk about like what, um, like what the person's background is, whether it's like they're like a PE teacher or if they're like a hardcore like survivalist or something, and they assess their skills and they give them what they call a survival rating at the beginning yes, of the show. Yes, yes, yes. And then at the end of the show, they like update their survival rating at the end of it based on how well they did and like how if they got through or not. Because something that's important to note is that. Uh, they are out there for a long time, but at the end of their journey, they have, like, a destination they ultimately have to get to that's kind of, like, the helicopter pickup point. So, like, 
they they do spend a lot of time in one area, but it's not like they just drop them in one spot and they stay there for a month and then leave. They have to like actively get somewhere while they're there, which is uh, pretty uh, pretty intense. But um, I mean, it's kind of one of those shows where like. I mean, kind of, and I guess this is sort of, like, encompasses a lot of reality reality TV in a nutshell. It's like, if you've seen, like, three episodes, you've basically seen them all. But something that I find fascinating, and this is, like, one of those things where this applies to, like, movies and music and TV and stuff like that for me, is that, like, as I've gotten older and more mature, I tend to not get swept up in, like, movie magic as much. And I always want to, like, logistically know how things are made. So something that fascinates me is, like, the fact that they have these two people out there in the wilderness that are, like, not wearing any clothes and they're surviving and they have to do what they can. But they also have, like, a whole camera crew out there because, like, obviously somebody has to be filming them. And if they have any, like, like, because sometimes emergencies happen and they have to, like, take them to, like, a paramedic situation and, like, get them treated and stuff. So it's kind of like the show, uh, like, Survivor in a way where it interests me in a sense that, like, you know there's, like, a really big, third party out there like filming and helping them and maybe like if you know they they might be dying or something that they can kind of like take them under their wing so like I tend to not get as swept up like I said in like the magic of it because I'm like oh who's filming these people right now like how many people are behind that camera like is there a paramedic like right off screen where they're like waiting for somebody to die or something and so I always get kind of caught up in thinking about like the really logistical um, like pieces of these kinds of uh, these kinds of things. Yeah, that's a really good point because there there are times when they are very clearly um, having a crew, like you said. Like there's one point where this guy was, uh, I think it was in Florida, and he had caught like a water moccasin, uh, which is a poisonous snake for people who don't know about Florida wildlife. Um, he had caught it with like a snare, and he was trying to chop its head off so they could cook it, and he like flung it out of the water. And as he flung it out of the water, he was like, heads up. And you could see this cameraman like fucking diving out of the way because the snake was coming straight towards <laughs> oh my him. God. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, the cameraman's going to get bit. Um, so sometimes there's definitely a crew and there, there are doctors because a couple of the people that we've watched so far got really fucking sick. And so they had to be taken away. So there are people around. But then sometimes it seems like they're pretty alone and they do the, the handheld look into my own iPhone kind of a thing where they're kind of... Uh, you know, dictating their little personal diary or sometimes mm-hmm. like at night, usually at nighttime when they're by themselves, they're kind of like, you can tell they're like holding their own camera and talking into it. So it seems like a mix, which I think would be, I mean, you have to have it filmed. It can't just be like a bunch of drones out there. And of course, <laughs> if there's a producer and director, then of course there, I mean, I'm, I'm sure some of it is staged or some of it is for, you know, they cut certain things out or don't show other things or whatever. But I mean, even regardless, I think it's really interesting just to see, what these people do, and then to constantly think like, what would I do? Like, if I was out there, would I would I eat that fucking frog? Would I would I put that mud <laughs> on my skin? Like, what would I do? You know, like would I drink that green water? What would I do? So we t- we constantly think about that all the time. It's just really fascinating, even if it's somewhat staged or even if it's not like purely survival as one might think it would be. I still think there's like a lot of really interesting shit to happen, and I also think it's really interesting that they uh, they don't ever blur out people's like butt cracks but if they have any junk that is hanging down below their inner thigh they will blur that out and so you get like a lot of really weird blurry spots that seem like two inches too low and i'm like (laughs) it's it's bizarre anyway uh loving loving naked and afraid uh also you probably have seen me uh tweet about this on twitter but i just finished watching season two of santa clarita diet did you see me talking about that I did see you talking about this. Oh, my God. I love that show. Have you seen any of it yet? 
I haven't. I remember you talking about season one when it aired and you watched it a long time ago on the podcast, but I have not seen it. Oh, God, I love that show so much. Ah, it like hurts me that I love it so much. Is this the best show? <laughs> um, quick recap. It's on Netflix. Season one and season two are fully available for anybody in Netflix. This is a I, I mean, it's kind of like a comedy. It's sort of like a comedy, but there's also some fantasy elements to it where um, a woman in the season one, the woman played by Drew Barrymore is a wife. She falls dead, like inexplicably. They don't know why. But then she like wakes back up. And when she wakes back up, she's a zombie and they're not sure what caused it or what is going on. And the rules of this particular world is that as long as she eats other people and it doesn't have to be just brains, it can be like anything. As long as she eats other humans, she will stay. She will look like a human and she still has her personality and she still she still seems very much human, except for she has like no pulse. But like otherwise, she's like indistinguishable from another human being. So as long as she's well fed, she's fine. But if she does not eat, then she gets kind of like feral and gross and all that stuff. And you can't go too <laughs> far because you can't recover if she gets too de decomposed or whatever. So it sounds grim, but really the point of the of the the show is that she is still married to a guy who's played by uh, Timothy Oliphant who I think you are a fan of, correct? Timothy Oliphant is like daddy as fuck. Oh my god, he is so hot. Yeah, even I mean, I, not my jam, but I totally see what you're saying and even more so, even more so in the sec second season. Like he goes he leads into it pretty hard, so you should probably check that out just for the the eye candy alone. Um but the thing is, like, he's not a zombie. So, like, he finds out what's going on with her. And they have this really awesome relationship. Like, their relationship is really the core of the series. Where, like, they genuinely, like, love each other. They like hanging out with each other. They are, like, in love even after being married for 20 years or whatever. And they, you know, they work together. And they just have this life together. And so they're not going to let her being a zombie stop that. Like, he doesn't even even once think about killing her. You know, he just immediately is like, okay, well, who can we kill to keep you fed? Because this has to keep rolling, you know? Like, so he gets, like, on board with killing people, and they work together to, like, cover up the bodies. And it's, I mean, it kind of becomes, like, this kind of silly, goofy, like, oh, my God, we killed somebody, and we forgot to, we, we left a hand in the living room, and somebody found the hand, and what do we do? And all these kind of, like, weird hijinks happen. And at the same time, they're also being parents to their daughter, who is in high school, and she's, like questioning like everything about life like oh my mom and dad are killers and my mom's a zombie why do i fucking have to go to school at all what does life even mean to me because what's gonna happen and like just this relationship of the mom and the dad loving each other and being totally like 1000 percent supportive and accepting of each other in addition to like how they both team up and try to parent their daughter as best they can despite the fact that they've killed multiple people and that the daughter is often in on helping them hide the bodies and stuff it's just it's like so bizarre and so crazy of a premise and yet it totally works because they are so committed and like just watching them be together. Uh, Drew Barrymore and Timothy Oliphant is so awesome and pleasant. Like they're so funny and the way they pop their lines off each other is really good. And the writing on the show is really just very, um, it's very witty. Like they have a lot of really, really sharp observations and a lot of just really like really funny things that they poke up, poke fun at that. I think uh, other shows probably wouldn't go for. So God, I love the show so much. We just finished season two. I thought it was great. I just, I really want more of it because I just watched every single episode. We watched, like, I think the whole thing in, I think, two days, which is kind of unusual for us. But we just, like, really, <laughs> really loved it. And it's just, man, I just, I hope they bring it back for season three. They left it on kind of a cliffhanger, so I, I'm hoping that they will. Uh, but I cannot recommend it enough. If you like really offbeat, quirky, bizarre, really unusual kind of comedies. I mean, it's comedy, but it's also 
a little bit of a romance. It's also like a zombie story. There's also tons of blood. Like people get killed in the goriest fucking ways on the show. It's so strange to have somebody go from, oh, honey, I love you so much. And then like she turns around, like rips some dude's fucking guts out and is like covered in blood. <laughs> oh, man. Like the way that it swings between those extremes is so good. Like, oh, I love the show so much. Corey, you've got to watch it. I probably won't because you know my policy about like not watching shows. <laughs> <laughs> there's just like there's not there's I I totally every time you talk about a show, I totally 100% believe you whenever you think they're great and if even if they should be up my alley and I should watch them, but there is not enough time in the day for me to prioritize watching shows whenever it's hard enough for me to like play video games to talk about on the podcast because I spend, you know, half my day at work and then trying to catch up on the video games for the show, sometimes writing reviews for games, a lot of time doing photography and doing photo editing and, um, you know, doing like housework. I do almost all the laundry in the house all the time. I do almost all the dishes in the house. So it's just like, uh, yeah, there's just not enough time in the day for me to like prioritize watching TV shows. Yeah, dude, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, we were staying up late to make it happen. And, like, we knew, like, my wife and I both, like, really, really love that show. So we made it a priority. And I kind of stopped playing games at the time so that we could, like, you know, it's either games or TV or, you know, have an evening or something. Like, you can only do, like, one of those things or whatever. So we kind of put other stuff on hold while we got Santa Clarita done. But, oh, my God, I just, I love it so much. I know you don't have time, but if you ever have a chance, um, if you and Patrick ever want to watch something that's really kooky, really bizarre like really bloody but also really funny and also it's like it's like it's the bloodiest show that i've ever seen and so many people die but it's also super wholesome at the same time like it is so (laughs) it is like the best relationship everybody in america should look at this relationship model and just like copy it because i think they have like the best relationship so i just i'm really a fan of those guys i love it i love it so much santa clarita season two on netflix now (laughs) um i don't know i think that's probably all i have for today man you got anything anything gets stirred up for you that's it. You said you had a shitload to talk about, and you talked about like two things. I mean, I got other, I got other <laughs> stuff. I got other stuff, probably, but I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm dominating the whole thing. I really, uh, the only other thing I can talk about, probably Beastmaster Mexico. I did I talk about, I talked about Beastmaster before, right? Oh, like Beastmaster. I think you talked about it a couple times, yeah. So season two is also up on Netflix. I know oh, there, there, people listening are like, Pfft. Brad says he's got no time, says he's got nothing to do. He watches all his fucking TV. He talks about it every goddamn week. Um, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What? Did I ever talk about Pacific Rim? Uh, the second one? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Oh, I never talked about Pacific Rim. Shit. Your what? love for the first movie is well documented on this podcast, but I oh. don't believe you talked about the second one. Oh, okay, okay. So let me let me talk about that instead of ultimate beastmaster season two although i will say ultimate beastmaster season two also on netflix great stuff i i recommend people watch the mexican version they have two versions they have the english version and they have the mexican version and the difference is uh the announcers are totally different people so on the american version they have these two fucking racist ass sexist fucking meat bags who like oh they're awful they're awful they're so bad i tweeted um i tweeted to netflix and i tweeted to the ultimate Beastmaster producers. And I said, these guys are fucking awful. They're an embarrassment to America. Get these motherfuckers off the show because they are bad. They were just, everything they said was either racist or sexist and it was really awkward to watch. So we stopped and we switched over to watch the Mexican version. Exact same show, but they have two hosts which are from Mexico. The entire thing is spoken in Mexican, but there's English subtitles. And so like a world of difference, dude. Like, I mean, 
they made some jokes. Some of them were some funny, some were not. But like they were way more respectful of the people. And it wasn't, I wasn't cringing every five fucking seconds with the stuff they were saying. And they just were really more focused on like the actual game rather than like saying whatever dumb shit the Americans were saying. So I do recommend Ultimate Beastmaster 2. There's a couple of really good episodes. Um, I think it's the first one. And I think the seventh one, really, really strong episodes. Uh, the Mexican hosts are really cool. And the other thing that's really good is that they have a really international cast of um, hosts. I guess, I don't know if they do it for every country, but they have like people from like Italy, France, um, Korea, no, I think it was China. Anyway, there's like eight or, eight or nine different countries represented. Each country has two announcers and like they only speak like a very little English, but like they do like all this cheering and they kind of jump in. They're talking in their language. And so to see like these hosts kind of talking about their own people and their own languages and just getting the different perspectives on it and how they act and what they look like is really cool. Like I really like the international flavor of that show. So good, good show. Um, but Pacific Rim 2, I feel like I've seen a couple of movies that I didn't tell you about. Last thing I talked about was the one that had Ava DuVernay, A Wrinkle in Time. Talk yes. about that. Mm-hmm. And then we saw Pacific Rim. So here's what happened. I went to go see Pacific Rim um, the day that it came out. I don't usually do opening day, but I'm like, oh, I'm really, really psyched. Pacific Rim is like my jam. I really want to see this ASAP. So I got tickets for opening day. Uh, we went out to opening day and then it just so happened, like we had tickets for like 10 PM, uh, work called me at nine 15 and I'm like, oh, ah, no. couldn't go. I got my refund, but I couldn't go. So I'm like, okay, fuck it. We're going to go the next day. So we went back the next day, uh, the day after opening day, got tickets at like, uh, I think it was like 11 AM got, uh, dressed, got to the show. We watched about 35 minutes of it. Beep, beep, beep. Hey, work needs you. Gotta go. Oh, so no. Left after like the first half an hour or so of the movie. And I was like, oh, God. So I was like, fuck it. I put it on a pause. We just waited like a week. Uh, waited for a day when I totally had like a 100% clear day off. And then we went back. So like for the third time, we went back. <laughs> and we finally got to watch it all the way through on the third time. Um, which kind of sucked because, you know, we had seen like 30 minutes of it already. And that was lame. But... Um, yeah, it was good. I mean, it wasn't like the knockout amazing good that I would have wanted it to be, but it was still super good. Like even bad Pacific Rim is pretty good because I think Pacific <laughs> Rim is awesome. Um, I, a couple, I mean, the story was just like big robots punching each other and a bunch of big monsters. I mean, that's really all it's about. Like if you come to this movie for anything else, just you're, you got the wrong idea. Like just come here for giant things, punching other giant things. That's really, that's, that's all this is. So if you have that proper mindset, I think you will enjoy this. Um, a lot of the actors from the first movie did not come back for whatever reason, and they kind of changed it so that the new people in the movie were a bunch of kids. And in the movie, they said, oh, you know, we need younger pilots because they have whatever it takes to pilot these robots, and they're better than the old people. I mean, there's a narrative reason for it, et cetera, et cetera. But basically, I'm sure every one of those actors earns, like, you know, a fraction of what the other actors earned. Idris Elba is probably no longer available, et cetera, whatever. So they have a bunch of new newcomers, and they also had the guy... What is that guy's name from Star Wars, the black guy? John Boyega. Yeah, he was great in it. He's awesome. I love him. He was really good. They also had Clint Eastwood's son. I don't know what his name is. Uh, he uh, was terrible. Something Eastwood. He's terrible. <laughs> He's terrible. He can't act for shit. He oh, is no. the worst. Yeah, it was bad. But it didn't matter, <laughs> because I was there for big robots and big monsters. Um, that was fine. Action was okay. I gotta say... The I know you probably don't know a lot about the actual like the the robot design, but in the first Pacific Rim, 
they had some really strange robot designs. Like they were very unconventional, very unusual looking. And I really liked how distinct they were. Like they just didn't look like any other robots out there. Like one had this giant like nuclear smokestack on his head. One had like three arms. I mean, there's like all this different stuff going on with them. And it was really cool. In this uh, sequel, I mean, it makes sense that if you were to design robots for a long period of time, you would be constantly refining the designs and making them better and more streamlined, etc., etc. But I thought the robots looked a little bit too generic this time. Like, they didn't have a lot of visual standouts. Um, so I don't think the robots were as quite as appealing as they were the first time around. Uh, but still, I mean, it was really cool. Big robots punching other big robots. Big monsters punching robots. Robots punching monsters. Uh, just like a giant circle of punching all the way around. And then it just had some you know, real big special effects and it was good. I mean, it was good. Not quite the revelation that the first one was because it was so cool to see a film like that being made with modern technology. I mean, the last thing that we got similar to that was probably like, you know, Godzilla movies in the seventies or eighties or something like that. So it was great to see Guillermo del Toro take up the big monster uh, baton and run with it. Um, so this is respectable, very respectable. I would totally go see Pacific Rim three. I thought it was good. If you liked the first one, you will definitely like the second one. Uh, not quite as unique and unconventional as the first one, but still still really good. I enjoyed it, so I'm really glad I went. So, good times. <laughs> that was a very, like, roundabout recommendation. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like... Like, when I saw the first Pacific Rim, I was like, oh, my God, that was fucking amazing. Like, oh, shit, like, that was so good. And, you know, like, it's it's hard to top that, right? I mean, the uh, Guillermo del Toro is not directing. I think he's only producing this time. I know that the movie almost didn't even get made because it didn't make enough money in America. But in Asia, it did gangbusters. So Asia is what saved it. And so thank you, Asia. Thank you, all of you. Thank all of you in Asia for letting this movie happen. Um, so I don't know. I mean, maybe it was precarious. Maybe they had trouble getting it to, to film. I don't know what happened. But, I mean, it's still really good. I'm not, I'm not down on it at all. It's just It just wasn't like as amazing as the first one was, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to do that. I mean, how many movies get better with the second one? I mean, isn't it, isn't it true that most sequels are just not really as good as the first one? I would, uh, I mean, the first thing that came to mind was Terminator two, because I think it's superior to Terminator one, but I feel like for the most part, you're pretty correct. Now I'm just trying to think of second movies that I like better than the first ones. Blade Runner 2049. Is that a better uh, one than the first one? Yeah, uh, Ghost in the Shell 2, NSNs, is better than Ghost in the Shell. Uh, I, have I, mean, to, I, think, I need to stop. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole separate podcast on its own. I'm sure someone's going to say Empire Strikes Back. Uh, I think that is better than the first Star Wars. Uh, I mean, maybe there's some, but I think, uh, I mean, of course, I mean, and if you're listening, please feel free to send us uh, uh, sequels that are better than the originals. <laughs> but I think, like, in the whole, you know, if you look at all of the movies and you average it out, like, over time, I think, I, I would guess that second movies are never as good as as first movies, when you look at, like, you know, the conglomerate, the, uh, that's not the right number. What word am I looking for? Aggregate. Aggregate. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you, Corey. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I knew. Anyway, so, okay, that is, that is for real. That's all I got for now. Um, anything you want to, you want to, you want to pop off about? Anything you got? God, no. Um, I don't think so. Like, I... I guess, well, okay, I have one, like, really, really small thing to talk about. It's re I swear it's small. Basically, I, um, there's a guy that, I can't even believe I'm talking about this because I'm going to sound like a 12-year-old girl, but there, whenever I went to Atlanta <laughs> in December for parkour stuff, I met a guy out there who grew up in the New Orleans area, and so, like, the people that, that I went with there knew him, 
and we got uh, like we went out to dinner with him and like a bunch of people and then he went to like the parkour jam with us the next day and he was in town a few weeks ago for it because he was like he's like a stunt man and like a dancer and stuff and so he went to he was working at this music festival and I saw that he was in town. He lives in Atlanta, so it's like a six or seven hour drive back. And so I saw that he was in town and I messaged him on Instagram and I was like, I don't think it's very cool that you came back into town and didn't let me know because um, I'm trying to be like the bold like move maker here. And he was like, oh, well, I was really busy, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, actually, I uh, I need someone to take new headshots for me, um, you know, kind of like for my stunt work portfolio and stuff like that. He was like, so next time I'm in town... Um, I'll give you a shout and, you know, I would love to make that happen. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Um, so he's going to be <laughs> he's going to be in town on Friday. And so, like, we set up an appointment um, and he told me that he would buy me food. And I to which I replied that he got one step ahead of me and didn't uh, make me have to use the like, oh, why don't you buy me dinner first line? Because um, he like got out <laughs> in front of that. So he, and then I somewhere, of course, along the lines, uh, proposed that we get whiskey together because I know that he likes uh, drinking uh, to some extent. And for a while, I wasn't, I was concerned that maybe he didn't want to like actually hang out and he just wanted to like come by and get pictures and leave, which I mean, like fair's fair. Like, you know, just because I barely know him, he doesn't like have to hang out with me. I mean, we're all adults here, you know, Um but we were getting in contact the other day about like setting up the actual appointment time and like when he would be in town and when I would be ready. And I think he's coming over on Friday. And then um, after we were like, uh, I told him like, oh yeah, you know, Friday this time will work. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to it. And he was like, yeah. And then after we'll get food and whiskey. And I was like, oh my God. And like my heart like beat a little bit faster whenever I read that message. So <laughs> I'm like really looking forward to that this weekend. And I'm like fresh off the heels of like photographing like a super hot dude last week. So there's like maybe I'm just going to start stacking up like hunky dudes one weekend after another to photograph and be excited about it. I thought that's kind of what you did already. I mean, kind of. But the weird <laughs> thing about like like the guy that I photographed last week, he I had never met him before. And so that was kind of an interesting situation because like I we, we had mutual friends. And so his mutual friend, who's one of the parkour dudes I photographed, they like came to my house together. Um, but I only photographed the guy I had never met. So it was kind of weird because like meeting someone and photographing them for the first time, especially in a studio setting is kind of strange. But he was like really comfortable which made me really happy and i had messaged him the day like a day or two before and asked him like what like it like because sometimes when people show up for photo shoots they bring like several outfits because they want like the business outfit and like the casual outfit and stuff like that so i had asked him i was like hey like this doesn't really make a difference but like what like is the clothing situation going to be like like are you bringing a few outfits or you know do you know what you're going to do and he was like, yeah, I think I might bring a couple uh, a couple of outfits. And I was like, all right, that's perfect. Like, you know, it doesn't really make a difference. He shows up at the house and ha literally has, like, a laundry bag full of clothes and, like, four shirts on hangers and, like, all, like, all these, like, few pairs of pants. And I was like, oh, my God, like, you're, you're overdoing <laughs> this from the get-go. But it's really exciting because I've probably said this on the show, like, ten times, but photographing people who want to be photographed is like a million times more entertaining than like photographing people who just like aren't really interested in being photographed. So it was nice that on our first meeting, he was like super prepared and like came, you know, like ready, like more than ready um, 
to be photographed and wasn't really uncomfortable about anything. And I feel like I was nervous that I was going to fuck it up because he lives like an hour away. And I was like, well, shit, this is like the one time we're going to get to see each other and I might not see you for a long time and I'm probably going to fuck this up like all over the place. But I did not fuck it up. I think we actually did a really good job and it gives me greater confidence going forward that I can just build on my portrait uh, skills, I guess, for the house. So that's uh, what I did last weekend and that's what I'm looking forward to uh, this weekend also. Right on, right on. Well, you know, speaking of... uh, of, Coming over and taking pictures, et cetera, et cetera. Gina and I were actually talking about coming to pay you a visit in New Orleans uh, later this year. Oh. Uh, we uh, were thinking about it. We haven't taken a vacation in a while because money has been super tight. Uh, single income family, like I mentioned earlier in the segment. Uh, but, you know, with her getting this second job, or not not really second job, but like her getting a second income for the family and, uh, you know, our son being old enough that he really kind of wants to travel and stuff. We're like, oh, okay, well, you know, we've never been to Louisiana. Corey's down there. Patrick's down there. <laughs> I like that kind of food. Maybe we can make that happen. So nothing is nailed down, but I mean, I think we're kind of like thinking about it. So maybe later on, I'll have to tap you for like ideas about like, where's an affordable place to stay or like, where should we go or what, when is not hurricane season? Um, you know, that whole, I don't want to, there was a trailer, there's a movie trailer a while ago. I don't even know what this was, but I think Matthew McConaughey was in it. And as we're sitting watching this movie trailer, it's like this white family who's vacationing in some tropical place. And there's a storm, and all of a sudden it's like, you know, the world's worst storm or something. And they show Matthew McConaughey is on the roof of one building, and his wife is on the roof of an adjacent building. Have you ever seen this trailer? No. Oh, my God. So, like, already I'm not on board with this, because (laughs) as a a dad, I get super stressed about my kids. You know, it's a big responsibility, and, like, you don't ever want to be caught in a, you know, disaster or something like that. So, like, Matthew McConaughey has the daughter, their small daughter. I don't know, she's like six or eight. And then he's on one roof, mom's on the other roof, shit's going down, and he's like, I gotta throw her. And the mom's like, no! And he's, he's like, I gotta do it! And, like, he totally goes to throw her across this fucking giant roof, and as he throws her, like, the screen goes black, and, of course, like, the title card comes up. Uh... And I look at my wife, and I'm like, oh, my God! And she's like, ah! <laughs> like, we both fucking, like, stressed out to the max. I'm like, oh, God, no! Totally playing off of the parental role, the parental guilt, the parental fear. So I never want that to happen. I don't ever want to be on opposite roofs with my wife throwing my son across. So find out when hurricane season is and we will not go there because I do not want to reenact that scene. That scene, whenever we talk about the most stressful thing we ever see, we talk about that fucking movie trailer because it fucking scarred us to shit. Anyway, I want to have some beignets. I want to have some. I know you weren't too impressed with them, but I still want to have some. So I want to have some po'boys. I want to have some uh, Cajun food. I want to see some scary vampire graveyards. I want to see some alligators. <laughs> so I'll let you know when we get you know more more stuff nailed down. But we're thinking about it pretty seriously. Well, please do because New Orleans is a touristy town, and I live here, and I would always be happy to see you. I mean, I've been to Seattle twice and you've never been anywhere to visit me. So I'm actually personally offended about this. <laughs> it's only, and you know, I said that too. I said, Corey's been out here twice. It's only fair that we go down there. And now that he's actually in some place that we actually want to go, like we've even got, you know, more reason to go. So I think, uh, I think we're going to make it happen this year. So uh, we will keep you posted on that and we'll get it all nailed down and see what happens. Um, just one final thing, I think before we wrap up the banter, dude, I want to give a big shout out to, uh, Super fan of the show, Joshua Jackson, because 
he thought that we were each six feet tall, and I was very impressed by that because <laughs> I've never I've never even been remotely close to six feet tall. Uh, I would like I mean I would like to be six feet tall. I'm happy what I'm at. I'm at five five right now, so I'm sure I popped a lot of people's balloons. I'm definitely like on the short side. Um, you know, short short in physical stature, but tall in spirit, I guess. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was I was it tickled me that he thought we were we were a couple of real tall guys. Yeah, I am not. Um, I'm like five, like seven, I think. So I've pretty much gone through most of my life with men around me being taller than me. And I have this association where if somebody's taller than me, I always think they're older than me. So like as if you just like continually get taller as you age when you actually kind of <laughs> do the opposite at a certain point. So like I have this problem where, I mean, I'm already not a very like boisterous like um, you know, like outlandish person and like groups, I tend to be like the quiet guy in the group. And so like that also mixed with the fact that people who are taller than me, I tend to think they're older. Like I, I feel like I'm always the youngest person like in a room, even if I'm in a room and I know that everybody around me is like four years younger than me. Like if they're taller than me, I'm like, Oh, I better shut up and not say anything. Cause all these tall people are older than me and more mature. And I just, I know it's not true, but that's just the way my brain links those things. Yeah, it's weird because, I mean, I kind of have a similar association. I've always been very short. So you're like a giant compared to me. You're 5'7". Mm. You got you got two whole inches on my ass. So you are, uh, you are uh, much, much, much larger than I am. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm always the shortest guy in the room. And I, you know, my mom had really good skin. She looked really young, even though she's, I think, getting, uh, she must be 70 by now or something like that close to 70 uh, but she still looks really young for her age and so i i feel like i look pretty good for 42 like when people see me they don't often think that i look 42 which is great so i'm short plus i look young so i still often get like the young oh you're the young guy thing i mean i don't get carded anymore so i don't look quite that young but yeah i don't ever really like walk into a room and like people don't revere me as like the silverback gorilla coming into the nest you know they're like <laughs> oh yeah it's just some guy not the not the alpha not the uh not the leader not the the wisest in the room so Oh, well, I mean, that's fine. I guess I would trade that for, like, looking as good as I do. That's fine. I'll trade that for you. <laughs> so, whatever. But anyway, I thought it was, I thought it was hilarious that, uh, hilarious and cool that someone thought I was very tall. That made me, that made me feel tall for just a moment. <laughs> so, thank you very much for that, Joshua. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. And, uh, I think that's it, man. I am bantered out. You got any last minute things? I don't think so. I think I'm ready for the show. All right, dude, let us talk about some video games. 